host, and welcome to the Viral Content Podcast. I am your host, Kelsey Powell, and I'm joined again by Kevin Ellis. Say hello. Hey, Kel. Hey. What's going on? Oh, not too much. Just uh, camping out here in Peterborough as the pandemic rages on and Ontario screws up its vaccine delivery. Um, that's That's real fun. Uh, but we're doing good, and we're here to talk about uh, some of the stuff uh, that uh, is helping us get through these tough times. Art. We like art. That's a controversial topic, I know, but uh, uh, we do. Um, we're going to talk about the decade that made us, in some ways. I, there, there, there can be multiple decades that made us. Um, yeah, I think I said before, though. Probably more because of the sheer quantity of amazing titles that I got to see in the theater, which I'm craving desperately right now. Yeah, this was like an adult uh, viewing experience for both of us, where we can use our own money to go to the theater <coughs> uh, easily. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so I saw a lot of these these ones in the theater. Uh, as they're supposed to be seen. Um, I think, I, you, I think you, we even... Sorry? No, go on. I was just going to say, I think we even saw quite a few amazing movies together at the theater. We did, You know, yeah. when we were little theater bros, this was, uh, <clears throat> this was prime time. Yeah, there's some of these I really wish I could have seen in the theater. We'll, we'll hit on that as we go. Yeah, um, for sure. I think you might be a bit more enthusiastic about this topic than I am. Okay. Uh, I'm excited to talk about it, but I think uh, there's a lot of movies that have aged kind of poorly. We may or may not be talking about those ones. <laughs> we'll see. Some of the some of the so-called great movies I, I, of this era are not that great, and there's some that have aged super well. And also... Uh, we've had a chance to rewatch a lot of stuff over the pandemic. I have to say, there's a lot of there's going to be some recency bias in my picks. Um, Fair enough. Because a lot of these, a lot, a lot of these films that I would have had in my top ten in 2009 uh, were things that really hit me, and I haven't revisited them since. Um, so we'll see how that, yeah, I... that definitely affected my list. I hear you, and but I think there's a lot of movies from this decade that are very underappreciated, or maybe kind of uh, unseen by a, like a mass population. They probably do deserve a second look, like definitely a first look. So at least uh, a first, at least a first look. I'm looking forward to hearing what, what you have <laughs> on your list. Yeah, I, I'm sure there's some overlap too. For me, this the first four were a slam dunk, and after that it got really, really hard. I was going to say the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. My, my top four are the top four. Everything after four is in a loose order that I just kind of shuffled around. Um, so in this decade, we started out um, in the at the end of the Clinton presidency <laughs> and uh, went into the George W. Bush presidency. Uh, which was characterized by 9-11, I guess. I actually do have a ton of American movies on my list. So I, I just think like a little historical 
that did affect the art that was coming out, I think. Actually, um, oddly yeah. enough, Kelsey, you might be surprised by this, but I only have American films on my list. I don't have any foreign films for this podcast. Really? Um, I actually almost, I have to cheat a little bit, uh, which I'm disappointed in myself about. Um, but this was a really good year. I think it's, de- I think American filmmaking has declined a little bit since this, this decade, but it was a great decade for American films. Yeah. There was still be, there was risks that were still being taken by, uh, by big studios still, you know? Exactly. But maybe, maybe it's your fault. We took too much risk and as a result, we're kind of being overwhelmed with this last decade, especially by superhero movies. Well, yeah, you um, see that—that's definitely the storyline. Uh, you see the the franchises creeping in with uh, like Twilight and uh, Harry Potter, and then you have Iron Man right at the end of the decades that kind of sneaks in yeah. there, and like it, arguably the most important film of the decade, if you look at what was coming. Yeah, it's uh, definitely unique in that respect. Um, Blockbusters, just sorry, go ahead. Well, yeah, I just think that's kind of the storyline of the decade. It's like a lot of a lot of studios taking big risks still with artists and and independent visions, and the franchise films really creeping in. Probably because the uh, less people going to the cinema, like that, you know, starting to bleed a little bit of money that that way. That's true. Uh, I looked at some of the box office uh, for some of the films that I really liked. Like something like Life Aquatic probably made like I think it lost money actually at the box office. That's a shame. Yeah, because it deserves to be. To be a, it's a theater experience for sure. Which I did Definitely see in the theater too. Yeah, me too. Yeah, it was uh, it was really good. But a lot of the films that I really liked uh, tanked in the theater. So who are we to judge? <laughs> It's very true, and I actually have, uh, well, after we go through our top ten, I have some some hidden gems and some underrated movies. Uh, definitely a lot of them from this decade that should have been so huge that just didn't become a success at all. Mm-hmm. Really a shame. Yeah, there are a couple like that were just, and actually, I, my number ten is kind of one of those movies. Interesting. So why we'll don't, start it off. Why don't we start? Yeah. Uh, do you want me to start yeah, or do it? Yeah, go for it. Do yeah. It. How about I start? Um. So my number ten is like I said. I think it's. I watched this film for the first time this year or last year, and I I could not believe that this was not a huge hit and a huge rewatched blockbuster, and. That is the movie Sunshine by Danny Boyle. Oh, it's a great film. Um, really? Yeah, it's. It, I think it's Danny Boyle's best film. Wow. Um, and he had a really good little mini run here that this is kind of in the middle of. Yeah, definitely. Uh, 28 Days Later was a phenomenal movie. One and of the I, scariest movies I've ever seen in the theater. Like, you really just got under the skin. But, uh... I think Sunshine was the follow-up. It was, yeah, and that's those are two incredibly creative films. Um, Sunshine is a film I actually 
would consider to be impressionist. Um, yeah. I wouldn't. It's and it's hard to be impressionist in film. Uh, I've I've really never seen a movie like this that's trying to do the same thing visually. I think he really created something new with it. Um, it's a little recency bias at making my list, um, but I wanted to talk about it, so I it's on there, and it really made an impact. Um, I loved it already, and then the ending just completely crushes you. It's one of the best endings I've seen of a film recently. Yeah, they, it's a really special <laughs> sci-fi film. Anybody loves sci-fi, it's uh, definitely one of the better films of the decade as far as science fiction goes. Yeah, I can't, believe, up there with movies can't believe I missed AI it. AI and Minority Report. Um, definitely a really good film, Kelsey. The with some really great performances. The cast has aged really well, too, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Chris Evans, I like, I, when I saw that that movie, I was like, okay, that makes sense that they cast him as uh, Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> makes total sense. Uh, if you're a Chris Evans fan, absolutely you need to check it out. For sure. So yeah, Sunshine, like I said, there's it, it maybe wouldn't be on this list, but there's a little bit of recency bias, but it is that good. Um, if you like Danny Boyle, if you like 28 Days Later, if you like science fiction, if you like Chris Evans, um, if you're interested in like environmental themes and anyway, and spiritual themes, um, innovative visuals, you gotta check it out. I couldn't recommend it higher. Yeah, me too. Excellent film. That's uh, your number film. 10. My number 10 is You Can Count On Me by Kenneth Lonergan. Okay. Um, now I have independent not seen film. this. It's, it's really good, Kelsey, and it's definitely something you would like. I 100% know this for sure. Uh, Laura Lenny, Mark Ruffalo, two amazing performances. It's about a brother and a sister in a small town. Um, kind of reuniting after a very long time away, and they grew up amidst a tragedy in their family, and uh, it's, it's a really heartfelt story and one of the best scripts of the decade. Kenneth Lonergan would go on to make um, other great films like Margaret and more recently uh, Manchester by the Sea. Um, highly recommend you can count on me. Yeah, he's uh, he's known for his psychological realism and amazing scripts. Yeah, and it definitely probably was a uh, play before it was a movie. I just have this feeling like it's, it's a very staged film. Um, but inside of the confines of a film, it becomes a little bit more uh, broader in scope. Um, definitely recommend it. Uh, that's my number 10 pick. Well, you had me at uh, Mark Ruffalo. <laughs> uh, actually, his breakout performance, I believe. Like, I can't um, think of too many movies before this. So definitely uh, look out the ball rolling on his career. Yeah, he... Uh... That sort of style really fits really fits him. And if I recall correctly, on the back of my uh, DVD case for the film, they compare him to Brando, and that's exactly how I would describe his performance. Very Brando-esque. Okay, well, I'm sold on that one. Uh, you did recommend... You, you, you recommended I watch it before the podcast. I didn't get to it. But uh, we're talking about different movies, which is good. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But you got, my, you, you got me interested. 
Uh, my my number ten, I, or my number nine. I really this spot was very tightly contested. Um, I switched out a bunch of different movies in this one. Every uh, film was tightly contested. Yeah, this was a this was a really hard list to make. I left at least ten films that I could shuffle into this one at any given time. Yeah, me too. Um, I ended up with um, the New World. Awesome. Uh, Terrence Malick. Terrence uh, you, Malick. You and I are both big Terrence Malick fans. Uh, Malick fans. Did you see this in the theater? I did. Uh, uh, and it, it melted my brain. It, it is a brain melter. Yeah. Some of, uh, some of the images, uh, the underwater images where you can see the fish swimming around, were just the most mind-blowing things I've ever seen on the screen. I don't know how Emmanuel Lubieski uh, pulled some of those shots off, but they're just completely mind-blowing. This might be my... Like, this is definitely in the top ten of, like, what I want movies to look like. Yes. Uh, it's just... It's as gorgeous as a movie could possibly be. Maybe uh, the beginning of... Or the end, for us. You know, those movies that studios were willing to take risks on? Uh, this movie was definitely of being expensive. Um, I think its box office was like, like eight million. It probably didn't make very much money. It wasn't nominated for Oscars, which is a huge slight for sure because um, it's definitely that good. I thought, um, um, I, I thought all the acting too was incredible. Like definitely Oscar. Oh, Christian Bale. Christian Bale was supporting like. Colin Farrell, and I don't remember the lead actress's name, but, like, she was Oscar-worthy. Definitely. I, she may have gotten nominated. I can't recall. But, uh, I don't she think She might have been the only recognition. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, anyway, huge tank, but an incredible film. About as good a movie about the subject material as a white person could make. Um, by one of America's best filmmakers ever, maybe best, according to some people, maybe me. Uh, I, just, I love Terrence Malick's philosophy on, like, it always comes through in all of his films. Uh, it's very poetic, and the images reflect that poeticism in a very deeply felt way. Uh, nobody makes movies like Malick. No. Everyone is, uh, is, is really good. Despite some of the bad things you'll hear about films like Song to Song or Through the Wonder, those, those movies still have something unique that if you're a Malik fan, you definitely find pieces that you can love. That's he's, the joy but love. He's a poet. Definitely. Uh, I'm getting some wrestling there, Kevin. Oh, sorry, Kelsey. That's all good. It's for the listeners. We want a nice, clean uh, listening experience. Uh, what's your number nine? My number nine might be the most flawless of the films on my list. Okay. Just so perfect in its structure, uh, performances, sound. Uh, it's, it's the perfect film. If I had to tell somebody what the perfect movie is, then it would be this one, and that is No Country for Old Men. Ooh, nice. Coen Brothers film, uh, Josh Brolin, Woody Harrelson, uh, Tommy Lee Jones, amazing performances. 
Javier Bardem is one of the most terrifying performances in the history of film. Absolutely. And it's beautifully shot. What can't you say that that isn't perfect about this movie? <laughs> it's just so tightly uh, tightly made. The focus is and the tension is unbearable at times. It's it's a masterpiece. Yeah, I can't disagree. I can't disagree with that. I watched it this year, and um, it's absolutely amazing. Uh, yeah, it gets better every time you watch it too. And I remember the the very first time I saw it. Uh, me and my brother, we traveled to Toronto just to see it at the theater, and uh, the theater just erupted at the end of the movie. Like people were just just astounded by what they had seen. And it's one of those rare occasions when you're at the theater and everybody just reacts to the power of the film the same way you do, which is you just want to get up and you want to say, fuck yeah, that was an amazing, amazing film. And you want to watch it again right afterwards. Oh, absolutely. That's It's definitely one of the ones I've, I've thought bad about. Um, and unconventional, too. Like the, the film probably has about 10 pages of dialogue. Um, there's, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very not a lot of talking in the movie uh, and it's, the sound the sound plays an extraordinary part mm-hmm. in the, the telling of the story the waiting around the, the characters that you can see actively listening uh, for, for footsteps and uh, the sound of gunshots ricocheting off of cars and everything is just uh, it's hard to explain but I'm sure so many people that are listening right now have seen this movie and feel exactly the same way that we do. This would be on this would be on almost everyone's lists. Um, yeah. And it's one of the best adaptations of all time, probably. Uh, it's, it perfectly captures Cormac McCarthy's style. Um, I, yes, uh, there's been several attempts afterward after this movie to remake um, some of those Cormac McCarthy books into uh, into films, but nothing has come near as close. To perfectionism. It's also a slam dunk. Roger Deakins, like, purple, uh, yeah. Roger Deakins uh, film. Like, I was in a trance in that Josh Brolin segment. Um, it, in, in the desert, like, I was literally in a trance. Anybody that knows us knows our affinity for uh, Roger Deakins cinematography. He's the best. There's no close second either. It's it's Roger Deakins. He's he's the number one by a mile. Yeah, absolutely. He's the best. We talk about him a lot. And that Woody Harrelson and, uh, scene uh, is just haunts me. Woody's only in about two scenes, but that that death scene of his is like so powerful. Yeah, it is. Everything's so powerful. And it brought it brought Josh Brolin to another level, which was. Um, is, which the world is grateful for. Yeah, of course. I mean, without this movie, he definitely wouldn't have gotten the recognition that he, he deserved. And he's been in so many great movies since. Uh, some of my favorites, like Inherent Vice, come to mind. Uh, <laughs> Old, Old Boy by uh, Spike Lee, which is kind of an underrated film. Uh, he's been in a lot of really good ones. Yeah, he's, he chooses good roles, and uh, he's just, he's a movie star. For sure. Yeah, good pick, man. 
Um, okay, this part of the list is kind of, it could go anywhere. Uh, <laughs> so my number, uh, what are we on, eight? My number eight? Yep. Uh, I'm gonna go with Southland Tales. Love it. Yeah, I know you're, you, you actually <laughs> introduced this film to me. Um, it probably, this probably made like 500,000 at the, the box office. <laughs> Because it was camp, it was like people started bashing this movie right away. Mm-hmm. It was rushed to the theaters for a Hurricane Film Festival um, showing. Um, Richard Kelly's just put a mad cut together at the last minute to uh, for the audiences there, and it got panned. Um, and it's kind of dumbfounded because it deserves to be a movie that everybody sees. Uh, it kind of foretells the future at the time, anyways. It foretells our future. And, oh yeah, uh, it predicted the next decade. For sure. Ah, culturally. And definitely. And uh, it's maybe the best cast of any movie in that decade. That's um, a good. That's a good. Uh, good point. Um, the cast has aged really well, and it is the weirdest cast of all time. It. Is the best performance that any actor in that movie has ever given. Uh, any actor. Yeah, I, I think uh, <laughs> Sean William Scott. It's easily Dwayne his Rock best. Johnson? Dwayne the Rock Johnson is Oscar worthy, and I'm not joking. It's, that's that's the truth, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Kevin Kevin Smith, <laughs> Sherry O'Terry, John, John Lovitz. John Lovitz is amazing. <laughs> Even Justin Timberlake, it's the best work of Justin Timberlake's career. And like when you put when you like when you're saying these names out loud, this should be a movie that everybody has seen. You know what I mean? Like these are big stars. Yeah. Or at least they were once upon once upon a time. They were all huge. Well, the Rock. Um, like, this this movie should have been huge. Uh, Donnie Darko is a huge pulp film success. You know, definitely a movie that thrived on DVD and VHS releases at the time. And this was the follow-up to that. And Richard Kelly should be on a Steven Spielberg-like level and be allowed to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants to do it. But for some reason, this movie didn't get good reviews um, and didn't get a run in the theater that it deserved. And that's just the most unfortunate thing that happened for movies in that decade. And not to spoil... I list further on, but this was my underrated gem. Nice of the decade. It's and Donnie Darko's aged really well too, actually. Um, yeah, another terrific <laughs> film. And even later than that, after Southland Tales, he did a, a movie called The Box. The Box is awesome. Yeah, which is just an awesome film. I agree. Um, yeah. it's one of the most unfortunate um, twists that film history took. Because I really think Richard Kelly hasn't had the chance to be one of the greats. He still could. Um, He's a genius. He, he really is a genius. And all those films are connected in a way. And like philosophically and scientifically, there's a lot of content there. Um, I'm not sure if, you're, if you know this or not, but um, he wrote the, uh, the script to the Tony Scott film, Domino. Oh, and yeah. And after, South, after Southland Tales, nobody would allow him to make that movie the way he wanted to. And it, I, I don't know, I find it kind of, 
it's maybe a weird coincidence that Richard Kelly found himself in the same situation that Quentin Tarantino once found himself in with True Romance. Yeah. And both of those films get kicked up to Tony Scott. Master, Tony Scott. And, I mean, Domino's a great film. I mean, maybe an underrated film as well, but uh, still highly enjoyable. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. It's a crazy ride. And Richard Kelly, man, he just, he deserves a lot of praise and he, he deserves respect. Sure. He's written and did some of the greatest movies of that decade. Three Richard Kelly. Yeah, it's a crime. It is a crime. And I told, too, that there is an extended version of Southland Tales that nobody's ever seen. It's like four hours long. Um, I would die to see that film. I would pay any amount of Bring it yeah. on. Re-release that movie to the theaters because nobody's seen it. Nobody's just seen pretend it. like it never happened. Like it's just something that came out of a vault, released it to the theaters, and it'll explode. I don't know if I've ever talked to another person who's seen it. No, and it's one of those movies I recommend to almost anybody. If, if somebody uh, shows me they have a passion for film, um, I've got like a, a top-tier group of films that I'll, I'll just rhyme off. You need to watch this. You need to watch this. Southland Tales is always on that list. Yeah, me too. Really. Yeah, so get out there and watch Southland Tales. People who have listened to the podcast know that my taste is often towards novelty, like think people who've created something new um, and who are being ambitious. And this is something you've never seen before, I promise you. Check it out. I could do. Uh, what's your number? What are we at? Eight. My number eight is Christopher Nolan's Memento. Ooh. All right. Lots uh, of Nolan. Lots of Nolan to choose from. This is his best film, in my opinion, and he's made so many great films since. But this one is just—it's a. Uh, it's a pure movie. You know, it, it uses the medium. It's the, it's the only movie on my list that couldn't be told any other way. It has to be a movie. Uh, the black and white cinematography is perfect. Guy Pearce's performance is perfect. The music is amazing. Um, I love this story. For those that don't, aren't aware of this movie, the entire film is told in reverse from the perspective of the character who lost his short-term memory. So he has to tattoo uh, facts about a case that he's trying to solve about the uh, the death of his wife all over his body and every day live out uh, a search for a person that may or may not exist anymore. Yes. Yeah, I would have liked to rewatch this one. Uh, it's, it's not on my list, but it, it was on my list of stuff to, to revisit. Um, didn't get to it, but it does stand out in my memory as something great. And I just watched Tenant, and uh, Tenant reminded me of this a little bit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Christopher Nolan likes to keep the same um, themes running in his in his films. Uh, Interstellar, there's definitely a lot of similarities there as well. Insomnia, which came out right after Memento, is definitely a really great film. Um, but Memento, uh, it just, 
remember the first time I saw it, and when, when you get to the end, and there's a realization that the character, the, the character has only for a brief moment because he doesn't have long-term memory. But it's just the look in the character's eyes, and the whole story just comes together in that one moment. And it's so gut-wrenching, and uh, such a felt um, story. It's just a beautiful, uh, beautiful thing to experience. I highly recommend it. Yeah, did you see that one in the theater? No, I didn't. Yeah, neither uh, did I. This came out right at the very beginning of the decade, and uh, it being an independent film, I would have had to have traveled great distances to see it. I would have, but uh, no, unfortunately, it's not one I got to see in the theater. Yeah, too bad. Um, although, it works pretty well on VHS. Uh, I will say this, though. I used to watch uh, Ebert and Roper on late night television, and that, that was when I first heard of this movie, and I got to see a few clips, and I remember thinking, wow, that looks really good. I remember Ebert and Roper both like praising it highly. I think Roper had it as his number one film later that year, and uh, I just remember anticipating it so much, like, well, I've got to see this, I've got to see this, and I remember watching Nolan's debut film, uh, The Following, just before mm-hmm. I got a chance to see Memento, and it was just like a perfect one-two combination. And uh, that was the beginning of a legend, for sure. Yeah, we'll talk about him later on in Who Won the Decade. Because uh, he's definitely a candidate. Following is really underrated, too. Yeah, definitely. And it just got re-released on Criterion Collection. So nice. It deserves uh, it. It might be hard to find any other way, but for those that are interested in Christopher Nolan, I mean, he's a, he's a genius. Um, might as well see the debut film. It's you really important. Really important to understanding his style too, because like the Hitchcock influence is really felt in that one. It's not as felt in some of his poems. Very true. Well, it's more overt in that one. You definitely feel it in the others. <laughs> um. All right. Uh, can I move on? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Uh, my number seven. Uh, is the Royal Tenenbaums, Wes Anderson. You know I'm a Wes Anderson fan. Well, what can I say? Like, it's... Yeah. <laughs> this is a film I would have liked to revisit as well. Um, I've, I've watched all of his films multiple times. Um, this was always you my favorite. Yeah, yeah, you do. Yeah. <laughs> There's way too much detail for you to absorb on one viewing for any Wes Anderson film. Exactly. You uh, want to drink it in. Definitely. Very slowly. I could watch a Wes Anderson film in 15-minute segments. Rewatch and rewatch and rewatch. And never get tired of doing it. It's an excellent choice. Every one of them is a masterpiece. Um, I think uh, since Fantastic Mr. Fox, really, like was, which was also this decade, I think after the decade, I would have picked that one in my top ten. Um, and it was still in the running. But uh, I went with this one because it was always my favorite. I love the performances. Um, I'm on a bit of a Gene Hackman run right now, and like <laughs> I just love him in this. He's just so funny. Uh, one of my favorite ensemble casts um, of the decade. I, I don't know. I don't need to say much about this one. It's just it's the Royal Tenenbaums. It's Wes Anderson. This is really when he became Wes Anderson too. Like as good as Bottle Rocket and Rushmore are. Um, 
this is kind of where he, when he hits the groove, I think that he's continued on it to, to this day. I agree. I, and it was a big movie when it came out. Um, surprisingly, you know, just off the first success of Rushmore, which was the film that came after that. Uh, and it, I remember getting a lot of attention around award season that year at the Golden Globes. I think Gene Hackman is one best actor. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was really taking off. You could tell that Wes Anderson was going to be a special, special filmmaker. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, I was in love immediately. I mean, I had seen Rushmore and Bottle Rocket already. I loved them, but I was, I was completely in love with this guy as, like, one of the greats after I saw this. And it has some of my favorite performances of the decade, too. Like, especially, um, Luke and Owen Wilson, too. Like, Quinn Paltrow's best ben, performance. Ben, ben Stiller. Yeah. Uh, at the end, when uh, when they rescue the dog, and it's just like it's such a touching moment. Ben Stiller is rarely able to convey that type of emotion on the screen, and it's unique. It's a unique film in his catalog for sure. Absolutely. I'll, well, I'll, I'm, maybe I'm a bigger fan of his dramatic stuff uh, than you are, but um, yeah, I, I, it was, that's definitely one of the great moments of the whole decade. I, I love I love that sequence. Yeah, check out well, so uh, far, check out that film. So far, we don't have any overlapping films, and I, I'm very surprised by that because I thought we would at least have one movie that uh, would be on each other's list by this point. Or maybe I already have said something, but um, none of your movies, which have been great. Uh, I don't want to give it. A, I don't want to give it away, but I do think we will have some overlap by the end of this. Okay. What's your number seven? All right. Well, my number seven is Scenic Doki, New York. Oh. I, I believe it's pronounced Sidnetiki. Well, <laughs> you got me for a loss of words there, Kelsey, because I had no idea how to pronounce it. It's, I just Googled I, it now, so <laughs> I even pronounced it bad after Google explanation. I, I spent some time trying to figure it out. I might still be wrong, but um, yeah, I think it's Sidnetiki. Uh, this okay. one almost made my list, too. It's a brilliant movie, and it's very similar to uh, the style that Wes Anderson has, I think. There's a lot of detail, um, and something something new to, to pull from each viewing that you you attempt. Uh, Philip Seymour Hoffman's greatest performance of all time. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I, I, I believe that. Uh, that might be, that might be uh, the case, yeah. It's such a dense film. It's um, so dense. You really need to watch this like three or four times. <laughs> and it's 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 moving too. Like for a movie that has so much going on, um, it really pulls the emotions out of you. Like uh, you laugh one minute, you're terrified the next, you're crying the next. It's it's got everything a movie should have in it. But maybe a little too complex for um, the standard moviegoer. I don't want to belittle anybody out there, but it definitely requires a, a certain type of attention. It totally does. Yeah, it's and it's not. Yeah, it's not like you know that you're watching movies wrong or whatever. It's just that a certain kind of person is going to enjoy. Yeah, this. Not, this isn't the type of movie I, I'm going to recommend to everybody. Because they're going to look at me like, what the hell was that I just watched? 
I have yeah. no idea. Because you got to kind of, you really have to pull it apart. It's not a movie that can't exist on one viewing. No. You, know, like, you really have to uh, think about it. You really have to think about it after you watch it. Try to, to figure a few things out in your head, what, what certain things might mean. And uh, give it a few minutes and <laughs> we watch it again. Yeah, and go, go with some of your theories and test them out. And yeah. Uh, now, I'm, I'm going to skip ahead. We can come back. But I'm going to skip to my number six because it's adaptation. Okay, great. Uh, and we can talk about these together because uh, Charlie Kaufman is definitely one of the best artists of the decade. Um, yeah. Exactly. You, you could maybe the, uh, say you maybe say best. <laughs> you can maybe say best. Yeah. And uh, it's the strength of his screenplays. They're just extraordinary. Uh, where do these ideas come from? And they come at you a mile like mile a minute. There's there's so much to absorb. There's so much meaning in every scene. Uh, the performances are are so engrossing because the actors have so much to work with whenever they're feeding off of a Charlie Kaufman script. It's just, it's very tangible. Like You can't help but feel the expression of what he's trying to convey through his words. And it comes across every time. He's never failed. Eternal sunshine of the spotless mind. Human nature. Uh, I'm thinking of ending things that just came out last this year on Netflix. They're just extraordinary films. Being John Malkovich. Another great film, right? Like, mm-hmm. Uh, and back to back with Spike Lee collaborations there. Uh, Spike uh, Jones. Spike Jones, sorry. Just truly good. Like being John Malcolm is just an amazing movie. And there's so much. There's just so much to to love about those movies. And you can turn back time and watch them over and over and over again, and never get tired of it. He's one of the truly unique artists to ever work in the medium. Uh, I think film is lucky to have him um he's so original and challenging and and idiosyncratic um he gets like you said he gets career best performances in every single one of his movies uh he's the best and adaptation again is like it's it's so ambitious um but also quite accessible like it got oscar nominations and wins uh it's more accessible than synthetic new york uh i think you can agree yeah i would definitely agree with that but i you know i put adaptation on my list but i think i do like synthetic more <laughs> but i understand what you mean though by adaptation probably being more enjoyable because it's actually part of the movie right Mm-hmm. He's trying to make a movie uh, with That's what enjoyable. he believes people want to watch in a movie, right? Yeah. Drug use, car crashes, uh, devastating uh, climate. <laughs> like he's got everything. Chase scenes, you know? Uh, Meryl Streep. Yeah. <laughs> everything in a movie. But he's so neurotic that he can't do it. <laughs> He just can't make something enjoyable without consequences. Uh, yeah. I love that. So I think I, I jumped ahead to number six. Do you, do you, do you want to do your number six? 
I'll just say to uh, yeah. before we leave that adaptation that I was profoundly lucky to have gotten to see adaptation and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Nice. In the same day, I was that was a double feature, a Charlie Kaufman double feature because those movies both came out on the exact same day and time. Wow. Which was yeah. And me and my brother went to see those movies back to back, and we were just like, "Whoa!" Our whole lives just changed. Yeah. Right. Confessions is uh, underrated, like definitely really one of the underrated films of the decade. But like, we all we'd had before those two films was just being John Malkovich, which we'd both seen in the theater as well. So did but I. It just was like a storm, like a mind storm. Those two movies just blew past us, and we were like. Wow. <laughs> when was the last time we saw something that good? Those, those movies are um, timeless. That's a good way to spend four hours. For sure. So we did I, jump around. Yeah. You went to six. I went to six, so what's your number six? My number six is Todd Fields in the bedroom. Okay. Now we're talking. So, uh, this movie just, uh, I love it so much. <laughs> it's a very tragic movie. It's really sad and, uh, not easily recommended to, to other people. But if you enjoy a good family drama, like something akin to like Ordinary People by Robert Redford or, um, even aspects of like Kramer versus Kramer, uh, Definitely more family-oriented drama. Very depressing. It takes place after a horrific accident, or not accident. Uh, yeah, don't give away. Like don't give yeah, away don't too to. much. That there is a tragedy. <laughs> and Todd Field's another director like Richard Kelly. Where, like, where is he gone? What happened? All this time has passed, and he's made two movies. Both are extraordinary. Uh, worth the respect. I don't know, man. He, he's on my list, too. Um, if I can... I watched this one on the movie network, the, the movie channel, at home alone, in the middle of the day, and I have never cried so much in a film. Uh, this movie completely broke me the fuck open. Um, it really does break you down. Uh, you really start... Like, as the movie progresses through the eyes of the father's character, it slowly chips away at you. You're just starting to really feel what he's feeling, and you're along for the ride. Um, it's a really devastating movie to watch. I hate to say more than that, because I don't want anybody to think it's so depressing that you can't watch it. Yeah. There's a lot of beautiful things about it, too. Um Absolutely. Like, it's not, it is depressing. Like, but just know going in that it's going to be an emotional ride. Um, it, it's definitely, it's totally beautiful as well. Like, but it's an emotional roller coaster that, yeah, I, like I said, I, it's touched me like very few films ever have. Um, I didn't put it on my list. That's why I asked you if you're going to put it on. Um, but certainly it's been, one of the it's been one of my favorite films since the, the first time I saw it. Uh, 
which was in 2001. Um, just and Tom Wilkinson, Tom Wilkinson, and Sissy Spacek are off the charts as well. Completely off the charts. And, and one scene in particular that, that drew a lot of attention was a, a fight between the two of them in the kitchen. And it's extraordinary acting. Mm-hmm. They're two of the best. The, the loved ones, they, they really had to be feeling that moment to to show us how how deeply they did. Um, I'm, I'm sounding stupid now just because the movie is just it's so gut wrenching. Um, yeah, yeah, the film the film speaks for itself. Uh, definitely check out Little Children too because it's a also a masterpiece um, by Todd Fields, uh, who yeah, like Richard Kelly, we just desperately want to see more of. Little Children may have made my list of top ten films as well if I didn't stick with the rule of only allowing uh, one film per director. Mm-hmm. Thought I better note that too because I do feel very strongly about Little Children, as you know, it's. It's an extraordinary movie as well. Uh, probably a little more accessible to the same standard audience than uh, yeah. in the bedroom. But uh, Kate Winslet, Patrick Wilson, I must see as well. Yeah, those guys are two of the best as well. Um, shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, check out In the Bedroom, but be prepared to cry. <laughs> a lot. Kate, okay, when, when, when Art can touch you like that... Um, it's it's for real. Like that's what we're alive. We're alive to feel these feelings. So don't be afraid of it. Don't be afraid of them. Um, so my next one, I'm betting it's on your list. My number five. Number five. Yeah. Um, yeah. I got the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Yes, that, it's on my list. It's on your list. <laughs> okay. It's on my list. So, if it wasn't two hours and 45 minutes, you could say the same thing that you said about um, about uh, No Country for Old Men. This is a perfect film. Um, There's actually a four-hour version of this movie as well, Kelsey. Oh, I'd totally watch that. This was chopped up, and it's Whoa. still a masterpiece. Un- incredible. So, incredible. incredible. Another, another director we want to see more from, too. Definitely. Yeah, like... Uh, so, Andrew so, Dominique's uh, a great talent. Um, Killing Them Softly was one of the better movies of this year. Uh, Chopper, which was made before the assassination, is a really great film with Eric Bana, maybe his best performance. Uh, he also did the One More Time with Feeling, the Nick Cave, Nick Cave documentary, which, which is, is an extraordinarily beautiful film. That one will make you cry, too. <laughs> yeah. Holy crap. <laughs> he's an amazing filmmaker, and apparently he's got a movie about Marilyn Monroe, which he says, if he's able to make it, will be the greatest movie that's ever been made. Okay. <laughs> which is which is a lot of hype, right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, I mean, this, this is my number one film. This is the number one film on my list. This is your number one? Say it. Okay. This is my number one. This is, okay, well, this, we can... We can take Assassination a bit more of time. Jesse James is, in my opinion, the greatest movie of all time. Whoa! Yes. Holy shit! Well, 
you know what the the uh, my number one I also consider to be the greatest film of all time. That's so, why this is a great second. So we will get to that uh, later, but I'm teasing it. Um, now another assassination is another slam dunk. Roger Deakins. Uh, this, this was 2007. This was the same year as No Country for Old Men. That's just was double nominated. It's friggin' silly, and he didn't win. Um, and two very unique styles used in each of those films. Yeah, they're really uh, different. You know, the assassination plays out more like a like a western made by Terrence Malick, and. No Country for Old Men stays very much in that Coen Brothers realm of look and feel. The two different styles, the two amazingly photographed films. Uh, the start of the assassination, where it is the train, it's coming through the forest, and the way the, the light is reflecting off the trees is captured um, so amazingly. And that juxtaposed with Nick Cave's uh, amazing score, the best score of any film ever made. Uh, I I went to sleep every night for probably two years listening to that score. It's the best piece of music of my years I've ever heard. Wow. And it's, it's so beautifully uh, juxtaposed with the images of this film. It's it's like a, the whole movie is like a song, like a very sad song. Mm-hmm. Uh, with these incredible, unique characters and performances. Uh, Casey Affleck. Uh, How did he... I, mean, <laughs> I know Javier Bardem was uh, extraordinary in No Country for Old Men. He ultimately won the Oscar, but Casey Affleck shouldn't have been in the supporting actor category. No. And likely... His screen I mean, time? He should have, should have won Best Actor. Yeah, it's... I, I've rewatched this a couple on. times. I might take that back, because there was another performance that year that was pretty extraordinary that I'm sure we'll talk about later, but Casey Affleck, um, so amazing. Oh my god. Brad Pitt, it's arguably the best Brad Pitt. Um, A lot of great uh, supporting performances. Jeremy Renner's in the film. Garrett Um, Dillahunt, man. Garrett Dillahunt. How good is Garrett Dillahunt? Sam Shepard. Oh my god. uh, Roy Schneider. Uh, great, great acting. <laughs> Zoe Deschanel plays a very tiny performance at the end. Yep. Uh, S- Sam Rockwell. Sam Rockwell. Like, man, that's a cast. <laughs> oh my god. Definitely one of the best casts. Oh, we gotta, we gotta find that somehow. <laughs> How has Criterion not released that? Mm-hmm. Like, do everything you can. There's a pandemic going on right now. You can't make movies. This is Please. the time. People watched Please. people watched the Irishman. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, give it to us. But this is another movie that was um, hugely dismissed upon its release. It's slowly been gaining traction. People have come around to this movie a lot since. I've I've seen it on a lot of lists. Uh, but not not when it came out. It was liked, um, but not loved. That's yeah. a shame because it is, is um, it's a beautiful movie. Yeah, I think and it's an all-time great. Um, it, you know, I, I think your pick for greatest film of all time. 
I, that's pretty fair. Um, like it, but it's you know, definitely... it's kind of like it's kind of a cheat for me too because I mean, it's got everything that is my favorite in it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. it got we got Nick Cave making the the, the music. We got Roger Deakins doing the cinematography. You know, Brad Pitt's one of my favorite actors. There's nothing that I couldn't love about the movie. Yeah, but the fact that it is so perfect is just... Um, and maybe one of the most devastating endings that I've ever watched. Like, um, when the characters have to relive the tragedy as they're performing it on stage live for everybody to, to witness, Holy to see how shit. the events unfolded, night after night after night, and that's when the tragedy of the movie really takes not just the death of Jesse James, but also the the sad, relentless wave of depression that these characters must be consumed with for the rest of their lives. We thought we were doing something good, um, but it's, now we're going to be. It's haunt. It's haunting. It's haunting and it's ironic. It's sort of funny in a terrible it's way. Yes. Uh, like I think whenever you get Brad Pitt, you get a bit of humor. Yes, it's dry, but it's there. Uh, and was Brad Pitt at least showy? You know, like he wasn't trying to uh, live like live outside of the movie. Sometimes Brad Pitt can own a movie. You know, uh, the star power is very much subdued in his performance. Where you really don't even looking back at it, he's kind of the character that you least remember most about. Mm-hmm. He just kind of he's in the background, um, but also he's like a there's an aura to his to his performance, right? These characters are obsessed with his legend, not him. They're just obsessed with his stories and the bravados surrounding his name. And he's just really a dude. don't see him as a human. Just he's a just a guy. guy. Yeah. Just uh, trying to live. Trying not to get caught. Trying to live low. Do nothing other than that. But he can't escape his celebrity. Which, I guess, is kind of a... You know, he, something... He could relate. Maybe Brad Pitt. Exactly. Anyways, Kelsey, my favorite movie of all time. Wow. That's that's really fair. I didn't expect that. Um, I knew it would be on your list, uh, but that is huge. That is huge news here breaking <laughs> on the podcast. Um, yeah, check it out. It's very like like you said. It's kind of poetic. It lets itself breathe uh, in a way that few films do. Uh, it takes that from westerns, but it doesn't. It's definitely not like a strict western. It deals with so many different ideas that it makes rewatches really, uh, really fruitful experiences. Definitely. Uh, check it out. It's so beautiful and amazing. Uh, what is your next film? Your number five. So my number five was David Fincher's Zodiac. Okay, which is my number which four. Is another, which is another <laughs> great film from 2007. We could have just did a list on that year alone. Yeah. I'm sure we would have came up with ten great films. But David Fincher at number five with his masterpiece, 
Zodiac. Uh, yeah, do you think it's the best venture? I, I think so. Certainly yeah. The, that's, a, that's a tight race that uh, another guy this, this or Fight Club? Yeah. I, I'm going to go with Zodiac, but even my, my close second might be seven, or possibly even the social network, which I loved a lot. Yeah. Zodiac's on a different level for me. Uh, and just, it just feels like a culmination of, of what David Fincher is trying to do when he brings it to the movie theater. Mm-hmm. He, uh, and we, I just said it about assassination, it applies to Zodiac too. Um, there's so many ideas at work in this film. So it makes it makes rewatching so great because uh, there's just so much going on. It's it it just sprawls. It doesn't even try to answer half of the questions that it asks. Um, it just kind of teases you with them and lets you uh, or lets lets them kind of gnaw away at you, like they gnaw away at all the characters. Um, yeah. The the way all the three three of the characters decay and age. <laughs> As the film goes on, is is astounding. The three leads are just so good. So good. Yeah, that, I couldn't agree more. That those guys were at their peak in that film, man. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, fresh off his success with Jarhead, was pulled into to work on this film, and I, I remember hearing a story about. Uh, he was on the uh, the uh, award circuit for, for Jarhead, attending these uh, fancy parties and stuff, and he had to keep coming back to the set of Zodiac the next day, and Fincher would just be relentless. I mean, more so than he maybe ever has been. 70-plus takes of Jake Gyllenhaal getting in and out of the car. Um, <laughs> David Fincher knows exactly what he wants, and if he's not getting it, he'll push you to the limit. I think all three of those guys feel, yeah, like that was a somewhat traumatic experience. For sure. Uh, but I think they're they all seem very proud of the work too. Yeah, definitely uh, an extraordinary movie. Another great movie. I mean, to see it in the theater, it's it was even more powerful. The scope, uh, the amazing digital photography. Another perfect film. Um, and for those looking for more of that, I highly recommend Netflix's Mindhunter, which oh, yeah. is uh, produced by Fincher. Two of the episodes are directed by as well. But excellent examination of uh, very similar experiences for the characters in Zodiac. I, I call what he does kind of a secular magic. Um where he he can definitely he can make something magical but he does it through through strict formality um so if a detail is missing uh he makes things as realistic as possible so he can completely fuck you up at least that's the modern style that he's been that he's had not so much as it was more stylized back in before Zodiac, I think. But uh, kind of Zodiac on, that's kind of what he's been doing. Yeah, I agree, Kelsey. 
It's really unique, and yeah, it's an almost three-hour movie that doesn't have a satisfying ending in the least. Which is so brave. <laughs> you didn't find the ending very satisfying? Well, I'm fine with an open ending, but, and it de- it, but it's, I think that ending would, would frustrate a lot of people. But the film's about frustration in a lot of ways. It is. Uh, and the characters uh, very much get lost in this mystery that they can't ever quite put an end to. Um, it's, a, um, it's, a, it's a beautiful film in that it conveys that. Not too many movies really want to take you to that place of dissatisfaction. You know, when, when, you, when the movie's over and you're kind of like, well, I mean, you should know, <laughs> right? You're going to see a movie called The Zodiac, you should know that uh, the, the case has never been solved. Mm-hmm. And thus you know the ending going into it. But having felt that disappointment through each character brings you even to a more lonesome conclusion than maybe you're willing to accept from a standard movie. Yeah. It usually tries to pay you off in some way. Yeah, it's, chal- right? it's challenging, but it's super, it's super rewarding. It's a great film. Yeah. Uh, I will say there is a definitely a flaw um, in that Chloe Sevigny's character is just an awful, awfully written character. <laughs> well, yeah. For, you wonder why she she even took the role. Cause it's such a, a small one-off piece in the film. For an actress that has a lot of talent, a lot more than that would have required somebody to do. It could have been anybody in that film. Maybe that's kind of distracting. Maybe. Maybe it's because it's Chloe Sevigny that it annoyed me even more. Um, but yeah, just a lot of lack of imagination in that uh, that particular character. He doesn't really explore her character at all. No. Um, so there's no reason to, and you She's kept outside, probably for a reason. I don't know. I never really thought about that too much, but I, I kind of I sense where you're coming from. That it, it just really bothered me of, the last time I watched it, and uh, I just had to mention it. Got me thinking. It doesn't ruin the movie for me, but uh, I no. can't I can't defend it. <laughs> <laughs> Already. Zodiac. Well, you got, so Zodiac was, was your number four. You that think? was my number four, yeah. Okay, see, are we missing anything on your list, or am I jumping to my number four now? You're going to your number four. Okay. So my number four is Richard Linklater's Before Sunset. Okay. Um, he had a couple you could choose from, too. He might be a Who Won the Decade candidate as well. Yeah, Ben Clatter's an extraordinary filmmaker. He made a lot of great movies in this decade. Some uh, underappreciated movies like uh, Scanner Darkly comes to mind. Waking mm-hmm. Life, which might not be underappreciated, but maybe underseen. Um, Ernie, too, which was a great film. Ernie's really but, under- underrated, yeah. Yeah. Before Sunset, it's just, I love that movie. I have a school of rock. I love School of Rock, too. Great achievement. 
He's, 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 he's one of the greats. He is. He's I mean, Days of Confused is one of my favorite movies of all time. I can watch... I, I just do something that I want to do. I just want to watch Blake Rodgers movies all the time. Yeah, he's... Like, he's I think all of them really have anything to watch. Yeah, exactly. Comfortable and challenging at That's the same cool. time. And uh, Before Sunset is the strongest in the trilogy, in my opinion. Uh... So the, the other movies are still terrific as well. Just it, maybe the time of my life when I experienced this film. It's probably the reason I hold on to it as much as I do. Um, but two terrific performances by Ethan Hawke and Julie Delpy. Uh, that's your boy. Maybe the greatest greatest screen romance of all time, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Well, there's nothing really quite like it. No, it's very unique. No one's really tried to um, do this. N- nobody but uh, Link Crowder, right? He mm. he basically took the formula that he was trying to do with with that story and applied it to what he would later make with Boyhood, which is a film that is filmed over a fifteen minute, fifteen year time time frame, right? Whereas Before Sunset continues the same story, just not quite in succinct as Boyhood does. I I admire the hell out of this guy. Like he's he's brave, but like I said, he's approachable. Um, you know, you, you kind of get the feeling like you're having you're having dinner with a friend, drinking wine, and having yeah. a, having a really good, challenging conversation. Um, he just has this perfect blend of like. French movie making sensibilities and American movie making sensibilities. Yeah, he's kind so of American. Both two things together, um, and it just works in a way that you don't quite expect it to. Mm-hmm. You know, like two people walking around town talking all the time. You might not think that's your thing, but if you've never seen this movie, trust me, it is your thing. It's everybody's thing. This is two people you just want to know. It's so entertaining um, and. Rarely has an act have actors been as involved in the creation process as they are in these movies. Yeah, I mean, all three of them wrote the script together, right? Mm-hmm. Inside of a hotel room. Definitely. But I think it really shows through in their performances and the characters. They're just so well thought out and developed that you don't, you can't help but be absorbed into their tiny little lives. Yeah, like we we were saying we wouldn't necessarily recommend Synetiki New York or in the bedroom to everyone. Uh, yeah. I I would recommend this to anyone. Yeah, me too. Cuz if you like if, if basically if you like films, if you like conversation, like there's going to be something in this film for you. I agree. And I haven't seen it in a while, so I would definitely like to rewatch that soon. I, whenever I do watch it, I like to watch all three films back to back. But if ever I were to break that mold, I would definitely go straight for Before Sunset because I think it does work uniquely on its own, but it definitely helps in the context of a larger story. Yeah, it's my favorite of the three too. Um, and that's my number four. That one? Yeah. Okay. So we're gonna move on to the top three for me 
Let's do it. Okay, so number three. The GOAT. Paul Thomas Anderson's There Will Be Blood. That is my number three. It is your number three as well. Interesting. Yes, it is. Okay. Great film. We may have the same number two as well. Maybe. Uh, I think so. So There Will Be Blood is the fucking best. Um, definitely a candidate for best film of all time as well. Definitely. Um, it could live. It could live in any era. Like it's kind of outside of time. I think this film. Um, I, it's it's poetic. Uh, like we we mentioned films being like a song or a poem, uh, and this is a song as well, because it doesn't explain itself ever. Like you know it's about something. And a lot of that is clear, but a lot of it just is unclear. Like there's a lot of oblique, uh, oblique themes um, in something. It's not like a straight allegory. Like people, a lot of people have written about it and maybe think it is, but I don't think it's very. It, it's it's so simple. Um, like oh, it's the story of America. And like yeah, it is, <laughs> but there's just so much that you can't contain. You can't contain this story that way. No, when I watch There Will Be Blood, it's never, like, I I guess I enjoy the overall experience of watching the movie, but it turns me into a different person mm-hmm. after I've watched it. My mindset's changed a little bit, and not for the better. <laughs> <You know>, like, <laughs> it's a dangerous piece of art, yeah. It is. It really, it really uh, works its way inside your brain in a way that most movies uh, don't attempt, I guess. But you feel you feel a little mentally unstable at the conclusion of this movie. Like, like you kind of like, did I just kill somebody? Wait a yeah. minute, what happened here? You feel that you know you get you get that eerie sensibility comes over you where you're like I can do anything right now. Uh, I feel <laughs> dangerous. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm kind of with you there. And that's that comes through. That's that's because of Daniel Day Lewis's performance, which is one of the most extraordinary uh, performances in the history of film. Oh, probably the best. Like I think you got to measure them all against this. Yeah, and I mean, what I was saying earlier about Casey Affleck maybe having deserved Best Actor, that was only because I'd forgotten briefly that Thoroughly Blood was in 2007 as well. Yeah, and. It's untouchable. Yeah. As far as acting, it's as deep as anybody's ever gotten. <laughs> yeah, it, it, like I said, it's the it's the measuring stick at least for any acting performance. And wasn't wasn't Heath Ledger as the Joker that year too? I don't recall if that was the, the next year or not. Yeah, I'm not sure if it was 07 or 08. I think it was 08. I think it was 08. But another great performance. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and Paul Dano, of course, is one of the all-time greats in my opinion, too. Yeah, and that's his best performance as well. Uh, Paul Dano's amazing in this movie. Oh, God. Especially the scenes in the church. Uh, just really gripping stuff. Uh, Johnny Greenwood's amazing score. Just really... Uh, Jangles the nerves, especially <laughs> yeah. in the, the scenes where the uh, the the oil field, the oil uh, tankers exploded there, mm-hmm. 
and everybody's rushing to put it out with these giant barrels of uh, gasoline and fire. And the way the keys just keep jumping around, and you can feel it in Daniel Day Lewis's eyes. The whole meld of that moment just completely rattles your brain. And it's it's great, right? Do you remember when we saw this movie at the theater? Ah, my God. We yeah. drove to, uh, I think it was Scarborough, right? We, Scarborough, we saw this film. Yeah. And we'd seen Cloverfield and then watched There Will Be Blood. It was a double feature. Oh, yeah. And we were so, remember we were so rattled by the whole handheld camera thing and just the constant action of Cloverfield. We had to, like, we go, go outside and... Yeah. Yeah. Well, we smoked another joint. But yeah. <laughs> we went back in, took a quick leak, and then we sat down, and then all of a sudden it was just this searing uh, portrait of a desert, and this <laughs> violin just eerily creeping up the back of your spine. And you were, in some, you were inside of something that was entirely new. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson had created a different type of movie than we've ever seen before with There Will Be Blood. I agree. And probably the crowning achievement. Yeah, and that's saying Amidst a lot. So many great films. Uh, yeah, it's a different type of film. It's a different type of art. Um, it's, like we were saying, it's scary. You're kind of going into a pit <laughs> a little bit. Uh, yeah. If you choose to Maybe experience it. You know, for those that haven't seen There Will Be Blood, and there probably are quite a few because it's, it's not highly recommended movie it's it's different but maybe the closest comparison i can think of is uh martin scorsese's taxi driver mm-hmm. you know the, the way that you're kind of absorbed into this character's um his feelings and the way he treats people like you leave the movie feeling a little slimy uh like you just you've been inside of a world that is so uncomfortable for so long you just feel really grimy afterwards. I, you know what I mean? Yeah. But it's also, like, really entertaining, too, I think. But yeah, it is entertaining. Mm-hmm. But it changes you. Absolutely. It's not It's not a piece... It's a piece of art that should have a warning label, for sure. It's like, don't stay at, stare at the Monet too long. I feel it. Exactly. Um, anything else to say about There Will Be Blood? Uh, maybe not there will be blood but we should mention because I don't think it's going to come up in this conversation unless we do that Paul Thomas Anderson did make Punch Drunk Love yeah uh, during this decade in another terrific movie brilliant performances and something definitely to look out for that won't leave you feeling miserable no <laughs> like there will be. <laughs> it will make you feel things but not it's not going into a pit you I mean, if you weren't familiar with how Thomas Anderson makes his films, you might not realize that those two movies were made by the same filmmaker. Yeah. There's certain things that give it away if you're a, a big PTA fan, but the sensibility of those two movies couldn't be further apart as far as uh, how they make you feel entirely. He contains multitudes. Yes, like any does. great, like any great director. Yeah, thanks for mentioning Punch Drunk Love because, like, that—that that is a movie I feel is like history's forgetting a little bit. Yeah, it, it's definitely a 
one of the better films of the decade. And another movie I was lucky to see in the theater. Oh, no. Actually, I saw oh. Punch Drunk Love and Far From Heaven. Whoa! In the same night. Lucky. Another <laughs> That's a great one. Far From Heaven is uh, is such a good movie. Yeah, the theater is also pretty special. Yes, it was. Yeah. 2000. It was 2001 as well. Two. One. Yeah, it didn't make the list, but it's a hell of a film. Yeah. So I think we have a shared number two. Okay. Uh, so it's I Am Sam. Uh, it's not I Am Sam. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was good, Kelsey. I like that. It is not I Am Sam. Like, huh? <laughs> um, it's about Hall and Drive. Hey, of course it is. Yeah, man. Mahalan Drive, man. There you go. Once again, a completely so new form of art, even by David Lynch standards. Like this is like a bit of a different thesis. It's kind of both the culmination of his work and like it stands aside a little bit. Um, it should also come with a warning label. <laughs> Be careful with this one. Yes. But at the same time, I will say this about it. I've always been a very big movie fan. Always been highly attracted to the motion picture. But my obsession with movies probably didn't start until I saw The Home Drive. Yeah. Because it, it told me that there's still something out there that I don't know. There's, there's, there's things out there that I'm not aware of. I need to dig further. David Lynch, when I saw Mahalan Drive, that was my first David Lynch experience. I had nothing else. Oh my God. Nothing else. So, the, 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 it just made me feel so something so different than I'd ever felt before watching a movie. And I, need, I needed more of that. And when you start to dig into David Lynch's back catalog, I mean, it's it's all very much inside the same world. You know, like Blue Velvet, Lost Highway. Everything kind of connects together in a, in, a, in a way. Maybe outside is like a movie like The Straight Story, but everything is very much inside this really unique world of David Lynch's head. And Mahalan Drive is just a profound movie experience. And you really, you're going to leave the movie the first time you see it, you're going to think, I know absolutely nothing about what I saw. I have no reason or conclusion to come to after having seen this movie. You just don't know what you just watched. Yeah, and it's so it's mind-boggling. Poss- right? It's impossible to figure out. Um, you, it's one film that even the smartest people I know could watch, and you could watch it five different times and have five different conclusions every time. <laughs> you know, it's funny because when I when I first bought the Holland Drive on DVD, inside where they do the uh, scene selection, they do have a scene selection. It was nine clues ah. to unravel the mystery of the story. Ah. <laughs> and I remember reading them like, okay, I have no idea what any of this stuff means. Like, it didn't help me out at all. You know, and I obsessed with it. I obsessed over those things. I was like trying to pull out these ideas that 
they are definitely were far too young at the time to really comprehend yeah. the entirety of the movie, but just so profoundly taken by it. And uh, Naomi Watts, who we might talk about a little bit later, we may gives the performance gives the performance of the decade with Mahon Drive. Okay. Um, and possibly the greatest performance of all time. It's in my top five in the decade, and it is one of the best of all time. But I think you'll like my number one, at least. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get okay. to that. Um, what, what, do, what do we like about art? Art shows us that there's still mystery in the world, like you just said. Um, there's something we haven't figured out. There's something behind that next corner. Um, yeah. it's something David, David what keeps us curious yeah what keeps us curious uh, it's the very best thing about being alive is being curious and I like the inscrutability the dreamlike logic of this thing um, it's just this is what I want art to be it's everything art should be it really is um and these ideas just come to him. There's the fish. It's so beautiful and organic, right? Like, mm-hmm. it's. I remember the first time I saw the 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 women in the uh, the pop group, and she's singing the song in the recording booth, and she's lip syncing it, and just that that scene alone was so eerie when I saw it the first time, <laughs> and you know all of a sudden there's this close up. Of uh, the directors uh, played by who? Um, uh, Justin Theroux. Yeah, Justin Theroux. Yeah, it's just a close up of him, and he's looking at her, and you're like, "Why is he looking at her like that? What the hell's going on here?" Okay, now he's looking at her differently. Everything is so controlled and so exacting that it elicits these really oddball feelings from you, like you're trying to figure out why he's looking at it like that instead of just simply allowing it to wash over you everything becomes a part of the riddle the subtlest of movements uh, tiny little details hidden in the dark everything is a part of this elaborate puzzle that you're not meant to ever solve it's like in a Rubik's Cube that you can never quite put together but never stop wanting to try as soon as you as soon as you grab onto one of the clues, it wriggles out of it. It wriggles free. To use the fish analogy. Um, it yeah, like just you should watch this movie. It's not like it might be disturbing to you. I don't know. Uh, but it's just. I true. think the first time you watch it, it definitely uh, would come across as a little bit nightmarish. Yeah. But the it's, more. It's dreamlike. It's not necessarily a nightmare. Yeah, well, there's definitely some things that kept me up at night when I watched that film. Absolutely. But if you do like good art, um, David Lynch is another another class of artist. He's entirely unique. Um, Yeah, Mulholland Drive, number two. Could be easily number one. Um, 
We know what Kevin's number one is. Assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. Best film of all time. Uh, what I think is the best film of all time. <laughs> Lord of the Rings, Return is of the King. Return of the King, Lord of the Rings. <laughs> yes. Fucking right it is. I had a feeling. Yeah, I, you know, the more I thought about it, like, because, you know, we just mentioned some real all-timers, especially There Will Be Blood and Mulholland Drive for me. Um, but Return of the King has lost none of its potency uh, for me. I watch it almost every year, and it gets me every time. This is just what I want films to be. Um, it's just insanely ambitious. It's a retelling, an adaptation of my favorite story of all time, and it just knocks it out of the freaking park. Um, it is it, a good movie. It, it, it is, even you say it's a good movie. <laughs> uh, I mean, I haven't always been a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but over time I've come to appreciate things about them that I definitely didn't when I watched them when I was younger. The only thing I'll say about Return of the King that maybe I hold against it a little bit is that it's just a little long. Just a little long. Uh, Fuck you. <laughs> I, I still I still like it a lot more than I did the first time. Where I probably felt it was like a three-star film when I first watched it. I probably am up to the four-and-a-half creeping five-star review now. But that being said, I think the Two Towers is the stronger of the three films. I mean, that's fine. I think we're both tight on the spot. I love them all. Uh, I'm going with Return of the King because for me it packs the most emotional heft. Uh, it's, it's like choosing between my kids, though, man. I'm not going to do it. It's the, pl- it's the placeholder for Lord of the Rings, which is one of the most ambitious things that anyone's ever done in film. I think I would allow you to cheat on this one. I think I think any movie that's part of a series or a trilogy deserves to be considered as a whole. And on that, I might, I, it probably would work its way up higher into my list of favorite films as a whole. It's yeah. Aside it's, from being taken as pieces, he shot them as a whole. Yeah, I mean, you have to keep that momentum going, right? Mm-hmm. You got all this money flowing, and you gotta, you gotta keep it going, and that continuity definitely helps. This story. Yeah, unlike a lot of trilogies, um, I, I find it really, really helped to have that that consecutive shooting. Um, you really feel like it all feels like the same film. And just the... You can tell that him and everyone making it is a true believer. They're all pulling in the same direction. They love it. Um, and it's it's for the fans, but they trusted that if it was for... If, 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 if they got the fans, then the regular film viewer would understand what the fans felt when they when they read the books and what they cherished about the story if that makes yeah. sense and they were right yeah. and I, I just think that's the way to do it that's the way to do an adaptation don't don't try to adapt the thing in a way that you think the public's going to like adapt it in the way that the fans love because that's what you're selling you're selling that like why why even spend the money to get the license for these these IPs if you're not going to sell the thing you're buying. 
that makes sense? Like, I hated the Star Wars, yeah. but the J.J. Abrams Star Wars films, or Star Trek films, um, because they weren't selling Star Trek. Like, why don't you, why don't you tell a larger audience what Star Trek fans like about Star Trek? But that's just it, right? I mean, even people that are, like, really hardcore into comic books, they tend to have a, keener eye towards the details of the characters that they have so much invested in. So, The Lord of the Rings being such a monumental text, and so important in so many people's lives, if the fans didn't like it, you know, if you're not making the movie for the fans, then no just average movie maker is going to be drawn to it. Exactly. You know, and the passion that was united by those fans is what drew everybody else to it. I've never read the books, the Lord of the Rings books. I probably never will. It's just, there's, I've got too many other things on my reading list. But, I know that the fans appreciate the movies as much as they do the books, so I'm entirely fine knowing that I'm getting probably the best versions of this story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, you know, and, maybe... I, and in that sense, I feel a camaraderie with the fans of Lord of the Rings, more so than I would probably feel with diehard fans who say Star Wars. <laughs> yeah, sure. Or, you know, um, Avatar or anything like that. Because you can give um, a little nod. Yeah. And say, hey, I get it. And this definitely launched a lot of careers. Oh, yeah. But, you know, at least kept some afloat. You know, Elijah Wood, uh, Viva Mortensen had a, a terrific run in this decade. This movie's like A History of Violence and Eastern Promises. You know, when you're able to put those types of things together on the side while also putting together this huge blockbuster, that's impressive. Aragorn, Aragorn is one of the greatest movie star performances of all time. Yeah, it's definitely suited to his strengths, for sure. Yeah, because he's, he's, he's the soulful movie star. And Aragorn is a, is a soulful character. Here, there's one thing I will say, though, but... If I'm taking a half star away from the movie, in the in the overall scheme of things, I'm thinking I'm taking it entirely based on just how much I despise Orlando Bloom. Really? <laughs> and his lack and his lack of acting skill. Oh, I mean, we could talk. We're, like, we're, like, we're gonna be talking about Elizabeth Town later. He, <laughs> he's he's like my Jared Leto. I just can't let it go. Okay. I mean, fair enough. I, I think he's pretty good as Legolas. Um, he's he's no Lee Pace, uh, who plays his father in the Hobbit movies. But uh, I, I can see he's no he's he's not as bad as Jared Leto. That's for sure. Uh, they could play brothers <laughs> in a really okay. bad movie. <laughs> I, I I don't want to have this conversation. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Alright, let's run through some other stuff here, Clay. Okay, so I just want to go through a couple of my um, my runners-up. Let's do it. And a lot of these were films that, like I said, I watched once, and they they hit me, and then I didn't really revisit them. Uh, in that category would be AI. Um, love it. Which I love, uh, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Um, and yeah, I've watched it. I've really watched it at least 
15 years. Yeah. And for a movie that I liked a lot like that, maybe I'm waiting to see it with my little guy. Maybe I'll appreciate it more. He's almost, a, he's almost the right age. Almost, yeah. And there might be something. I mean, Steven Spielberg is... He just makes the right types of movies for kids. I remember thinking it might be my favorite Spielberg film when I saw it. Um, and that might still be the case, but I, I, I couldn't put it on my list until I uh, until I figured that out, until I watched it again. Uh, I didn't have an animated movie on here, um, which I have in every one of our lists. Uh, I think that this was actually a weaker decade for Miyazaki. I like Spirited Away and Howl's Moving Castle, but they're not my favorites. Um, the closest animated movie for me was Wall-E. Um, almost made my Which list. It was, was good. It was yeah. good. Uh, you Wall-E's mentioned awesome. earlier that Fantastic Mr. Fox. Was, right. Uh, yeah, and that could have easily made the list too. So then the stop motion. And Coraline too is like was it was on my long list. And maybe to to decide that you hear, but uh, I did have a, some comedies written down that I was going to recommend. Yeah. But in that list. I do have uh, another animated feature with uh, Team America, which just oh is a gut buster. <laughs> um, Such a funny film. I definitely one of the things that I wanted to highlight. Oh, by the way, Manderley almost made my list. Yes, Dogville almost made uh, mine. Dogville so. and Manderley had very strong consideration, and so did Signs. The uh, Shyamalan film. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I Science, I love Science, Science is awesome. Um, when, so when Science was playing at the theater in Campbellford, I, I think I saw it five nights in a row. Oh my god, I really? I, I saw yeah. it multiple times in the theater, too. Um, it's kind it of a was, perfect film. Yeah, it really is. Uh, okay, so I wanted to mention the comedies of this decade. I think it's probably the best decade for comedy. There's so many good ones. Um, okay, listen to this list. Elf. Okay. Elf. School Great. of Rock. Uh, Great. Jane and Silent Bob Strike Back. Wet Hot Great. American Summer. Twenty Four Hour par- Party People. Jackass Great. the movie. Um, <laughs> <Great>. <laughs> Bend It Like Beckham. Mighty Wind. Uh, Blades of Glory. Walk Hard, which I watched recently and it's awesome. Um, very underrated. Uh, Borat. Team America, as you mentioned earlier. Uh, but I'm a cheerleader. Ali G. Tropic Thunder. Zoolander. Bring It On. Even Meet the Parents. Uh, Pootie Tang. <laughs> Josie and the Pussycats. Uh, Harold and Kumar. Like, this is, and Napoleon Dynamite. Mean Girls. Fubar. <laughs> like, so many good movies. Hey, uh, I mean, and that, I, I can't really mention, mention Judd Apatow. Yeah, another great four-year-old virgin, man. Like, Talladega Nights. Step Brothers. Yes. The, the, one of the ones I, I heard you mention earlier was 24-Hour Party People. And I only wrote down 10 comedies, but I had that on my list. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Coogan, that guy, he cracks me up. But this move, this this story is is so bizarre. I, I mean, anybody who's a fan of like '80s new wave music, Joy Division, New Order, and you want to get like 
a general idea of what it was like to live in that time period, watch this movie. It's just a wild, wild ride. I love that yeah. movie. That's such a good one. It's so it's so good. And he he we talked about kind of some unique art forms, and uh, Winterbottom has a really unique style. Yeah, and um, even made some other great films with uh, Stephen Coogan in a decade too. Uh, Tristan Shandy, A Cock yep. and Bull Story. That one's crazy. Uh, the two too. trip movies, A Trip to Italy. Uh, it's there's, there's so three. Funny. There's three now. There's a Spain one. Is there a third one? Yeah. Oh, cool. I haven't watched well, it. I don't know what I'm thinking of. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, Those um, are great. I, I almost had um, either In the Mood for Love or 2046 on my list. Uh, yeah, because I'm a big Wong Kar Wai fan. Yeah. Uh, I would have liked but to hey. have more <laughs> foreign films here, but uh, they ended up mostly American. I have one New Zealand <laughs> and one British. Yeah, it was it was really uh, dominated by American independent films. Yeah, that's uh, okay. I all there was I was very close. I really wanted to include a uh, Michael Haneke film. Uh, Cache was was. Almost on my list. Uh, Cachet got serious uh, consideration for me, too. And The White Ribbon as well. Yeah. I, those movies are pretty amazing. But I don't know if, I, if it was worth recommending that to anybody out there. Dark stuff. <laughs> it is. Uh, it is. But, but, good, but, but good. Um, yeah. How close were 25th Hour and Lost in Translation? Very close. Yeah, me too. So, uh, to jump back quickly, uh, just to run down my 10 comedies that I've selected, we mentioned Team America, Punch Stoke Love earlier in the podcast, just 24 hour party people just now, uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Nice. I had very, on my list. Very funny. I Heart Huckabees, which is an underrated film. I highly recommend to a lot of people. Um, I love it. I think it's hilarious. Pineapple Express. Yep. Adventureland. And Extract. Oh, Flash. Extract is so underrated. Idiocracy too, Kelsey. I didn't. Yeah, I didn't mention. mention Idiocracy. Mike Judge. Judge was the. Uh, he made the best comedies of that decade, in my opinion. Extract was my number one favorite comedy of the decade. Really? Nice. I just bought yeah. it on DVD. It's um, hilarious. On Blu-ray, actually. Um, that's one. That's one of the films I think out of this year, this decade also had one. But uh, movies that want to well, want to be a TV series, uh, X Men would be so an good. awesome TV series. Uh, so oh, would yeah. Mahal and Drive. <laughs> I recommend uh, X Track to a lot of people at work, and everybody who watches it, they just like that was so good. Yeah, you can't go watch that movie. I think we watched yeah, it together too for the first time. Well, I know we did watch it because together because we uh, I got married the same day. I watched it. Remember, we all watched it together in the morning before. I got oh married. yeah, that was actually really yeah. fun. Yeah, that was excellent. I mean, I just wanted to watch it. it just makes me feel good. Um, I, forgot about, to do. I forgot about Shaun of the Dead too. Another classic which comedy, a, which is a total classic. Uh, Death to Smoochie would be on my list. Underrated film. Zombieland, like, oh my god, such good movies. Super bad. Super bad. Like, maybe 
I'm biased because like it's this is kind of my era for comedies, but like I'd put this yeah. decade against any. It's my favorite, man. Uh, okay, so I do have some uh, some underrated gems that I was gonna run down. Yeah, yeah, go for it. I got a couple too. Okay. So some underrated movies, movies that were definitely uh, critically slammed whenever they came out for no good reason. Maybe not some to a to a great degree, but definitely didn't get the appreciation they deserve. I'll start with uh, Blindness. Okay. Morale. Yeah. Definitely a movie I think is uh, worthy of a viewing right now, considering the climate and the uh, things we're going through as a society. I think Blindness is an important movie for people to watch. It's really and, good. Uh, book, the book by uh, Jose Saramago is definitely a uh, must-read as yeah. well. Awesome book um, for a pandemic. Francis Ford Coppola's Youth Without Youth. Was an extraordinary film, in my opinion. Um, Steven Soderbergh's Solaris, I think, is underrated simply because it's not like one of the best movies of all time. The original is, yeah. but it's still, still pretty freaking good. And one of the best uh, film scores by Cliff Martinez that you're ever going to hear. Yeah, I know you're um, a big fan of that one. It's really good. Uh, my Blueberry Nights. We were just talking about Wong Kar Wai. Well, yeah. it was his first American feature. A lot of people didn't seem to like it when it came out. I think it's started to get a little bit more uh, praise lately, I guess. Uh, definitely a good movie. Uh, definitely something I love rewatching. Um, Autofocus by Paul Schrader. Yep. I must watch. Um, just, it's an amazing movie, and very few people ever saw it when it came out. Uh, and it's a dark movie. Uh, definitely recommend it. Um, All the Real Girls by David Gordon Green. Yeah. I recommend everything by David Gordon Green. But All the Real Girls is probably my favorite of his films. Uh, Zoe Deschanel, Roy Schneider. Uh, a lot of up-and-coming actors from that decade emerged from that movie. Roy Schneider um, never got the, uh, never had the career, or hasn't yet, that we wanted to. Yeah, it's, it's, it's not going to happen for him, but I know. I wish uh, he would have stayed on uh, Parks and Rec. Yeah, he was good on that show too. He was. Surprised yeah. he left. Uh, I have a Fountain by Darren Aronofsky, oh, which is highly underappreciated, uh-huh. um, as most of his movies are. They're not for everybody, but I mean, it's this is really uh, great sci-fi. Flags of Our Fathers by Clint Eastwood. I yeah, think it's going to be appreciated because uh, compared to Letters from Iwo Jima, I think people just gravitated more towards that film. I don't know why exactly. It's an extraordinary film as well, but both have to be taken together. As I think whole. it's Ken Watanabe is distracting. He's so good. He is terrific in that movie. Yeah. But Plays of Our Fathers, I, I cried hard watching that movie. It really uh, stirred me. And, um, people didn't seem to like it as much as Letters, and it's just as good. Uh, and number one on my list of underrated movies was, of course, Southland Tales. Yes! Must watch that one. Uh, great list. Those are all awesome. Well, the ones I've seen, anyway, are great. Um, I have a couple. Uh, Ghost World is one of my favorite uh, 
watched that movie probably 20 times. Great film. Yeah, I love Ghost World. Uh, Equilibrium is really good. Uh, with Christian like, Bale yeah. and Sean Bean. Uh, great if you like dystopian science fiction. Uh, and, and really, really good uh, martial arts, too. Um, it's up there with The Matrix for me. Uh, I watched Hancock recently. It's pretty underrated. <laughs> the Will Smith, like, drunk superhero guy, uh, film. Yeah. Love that film. Um, I should say City of God is a film I haven't seen in 15 years, but it would have been on my top 10. It's a terrific film. Yeah. Speaking of uh, Morales, another Morales. Exactly. And he did another movie. Uh, in that decade, called the Constant Gardener. Yeah, Ralph Fiennes, such a wife. It's a definite watch as well. Uh, I, I just love watch all three back to back. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, I love uh, Virgin Suicides, which is uh, the 90s. Oh, is it nineties? Yeah. Okay, well we'll scratch that one off. Um, Jesus Son. You know, I'm a big... Maybe, uh, maybe 90s, too. That might be 90s as well. Uh, Tarsum, sings, Tarsum Sings The Cell. I'm not uh, familiar with that one. You haven't seen that? No. Oh, write that one down, man. Jennifer Lopez. Oh, and, okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yes. It's not a, Yeah, not a perfect film, but really, really cool. Yeah, creepy movie. And yeah, I remember that. What if I told you that the best Batman movie of the decade was not directed by Christopher Nolan? I would wonder what the other Batman movie is called. It would be <laughs> it would be Return of the Joker, the Batman Beyond straight to video. Oh, the DC comic uh, animated feature? Yeah. It's Batman Beyond, so it's, in, it's when the Joker returns in the future. Okay. Um, has one of the best twists uh, you'll ever see in a film. Um, yeah, I like me some Dark Knight, so... I, I uh, don't think it's... I, I'm, I'm kind of joking. I think Dark Knight is really, really freaking good. Uh, but it's... Check out Return of the Joker. That's definitely a dark horse. Um, cool. I, I did watch Dark Knight again recently, and I find... Some of the Nolan stuff is getting to him a little bit. You know, some of the stuff that brings down Nolan a little bit. I think he gets in his own way and gets a little too plot heavy. Whereas I think that script was good enough. He just kind of let let the thing happen. <laughs> like, I, I, there's, a, I, there's a lot going on in the movie, right? There's so much story mm-hmm. that it. I mean, you, I would hate to be the person that has to edit something like that. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's why he he kind of puts his hands in there as much as he can. But uh, yeah, there's there's a lot of story. Still it's one, not quite. Still one of the best of the decade. Um, but I found my last rewatch was not quite. I was finding a few flaws. Yeah, I think uh, I think the first uh, Batman Begins is maybe a, a little more tighter. Yeah, of a film. Um, I want to mention a couple documentaries. Uh, have you ever seen Enron, the smartest guys in the room? Yeah, that's a good one. That's a chilling documentary.
documentary about how horrible humans can be. <laughs> and uh, I think Michael Moore's stuff has really aged well. Yeah, Bowling for Columbine is definitely a... Bowling for Columbine had the issue. He nailed the issue there. Yeah. But the problem it was is... a very huge film when it came out, too, right? Like, yeah. That was a, a big... That was as big as any documentary has ever been, I think. Yeah, I, I can't think of one. He's the biggest superstar. Yeah. Um, yeah, so... Yeah, definitely check out Enron. Like, that's a good one. Uh, you want to go to performances, or who won the decade? Let's do performances. Okay. With uh, the owner. With the owner? With the owner of the decade. Oh, okay, okay. Alright, so performance. Some of my favorites, just off the top of my head. Um, I like Bjork in Dancer in the Dark. Um, I liked... Uh, oh, what was the Christian Bale performance that I liked so much? Oh, American Psycho. I watched American Psycho is great. I, I watched that recently. It's not perfect, but he is perfect. <laughs> So I didn't have any, um, I didn't have any of his performances on my list, but I will tell you that I struggled mightily leaving off his performance in Rescue Dawn. Oh uh, my God, I forgot about that. One yeah, now that one really yeah. crushes you. All right, you, give me a couple. Devastating. <laughs> oh, you want me to give you a couple? Yeah, give me a couple. Okay. Uh, so I'll start with my 10. In my nine picks with uh, Alan Bernstein from Requiem for a Dream oh. and Edward Norton from 25th Hour. Nice. Yeah, like, is there anyone better than Edward Norton? <laughs> he yeah, really like, he really carries that movie. You can put him in any situation and he's going to make it live. And that Alan Bernstein performance is the best part of that movie. It is. Requiem for a Dream. She, she's the really the weirdest and the most raw part of that whole thing her eyes they're just so strained yeah like you get tired of watching her move around and just the way she looks the way she grinds her teeth uh terrifying couldn't imagine being around her while she was preparing for that role oh my god uh, we drive me nuts <laughs> uh, but, uh, amazing performances by both of those actors. She's she's one of the underrated greats, I think. Yes. Uh, got some underrated ones here. Uh, I guarantee you probably haven't seen this movie, but the, the Gods and Generals. You ever seen? Yeah, that? with uh, Jeff Daniels. Yeah. Yeah. Great movie. Uh, so Gods and Generals is a Civil War movie, and Stephen Lang plays Stonewall Jackson, the Confederate general. And oh my god, is he good? You might know him from Avatar. Uh, Avatar, which we have not mentioned. The top movie of the decade, and we have not mentioned it. Because uh, it's trash. Well, I love Avatar. This could be its whole, uh, the whole podcast. Uh, yeah, don't make it get into the whole Braveheart with blue people conversation. It, it's a house but. of cards. It's a house of cards. Because I've only seen it once, and it was 3D in the theater. And, uh, the, and okay, I, I will say that well, I I did see Avatar in the theater, and aside from thinking the story was not very well thought out, and 
that good. I was really impressed by the 3D yeah. special effects, which haven't been deployed to that, that quality since. No, how long was, ago was that? Well, that was like a long time. Twelve years ago, and we still haven't really got up to that level, which is kind of shameful. Yeah. Anyway, was, anyway, Stephen was, Lang is really good as Stonewall Jackson. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Paul Giamatti in American Splendor. It's pretty awesome. Hey, good choice. Yeah. Maybe I, I kind of forgot about. Yeah, I own, I own it. It's a. I watched it fairly recently, and it's pretty awesome. Um. Uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a Harvey Pekar fan, so. Yeah. Uh, and do no wrong. I love Paul Giamatti. Um. Another one. I'm I'm kind of a Tim Burton hater. But. Me too. I, Ewan McGregor in Big Fish in Big Fish is so good. And oh, okay. I, I love Big Fish. I think Big Fish is awesome. Yeah, I mean, uh, as much as I despise some of Tim Burton's movies, there are some that are good. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm not a, a huge Big Fish fan, but I enjoyed it. Uh, I liked Ed Wood as well, and I think about those movies probably on the same terms. Yeah. He does have a couple good ones. <laughs> Beetlejuice is great, too. Yeah, Beetlejuice. Batman's pretty good, too. There are some. I think... <laughs> you, know, you know what? I don't like Batman. <laughs> you don't like Batman? It's a it's mess. Not, it's not, it's, it's not, a total mess. I like Michael Keaton. I, I, like my, I love Michael Keaton. Uh, he just needs to multiply, man. I, I like Batman Returns. It's a shit Batman movie. <laughs> but... It's a pretty <laughs> awesome, crazy movie. Like, it is. Well, Joel is like the worst best filmmaker before Michael Bay became the worst best filmmaker. Well, that was mm-hmm. those were the other two Batman movies. Uh, but I to- I do totally agree with you that those are fun to watch. <laughs> fucking insane. Yeah, for sure. I can't believe that kids were watching that film with Danny DeVito. He's, it's one of the most horrific film <laughs> characters of all time. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Danny DeVito, that guy. He's, a, he's great in every decade, so let's give a shout out to Danny DeVito. Yeah, well, I already, mentioned, uh, I already mentioned Death to Smoochie. Yeah, uh, so in good. In this episode, which is a really underrated movie. Um, that DeVito um, a movie that was despised when oh, it came yeah. out. Oh, yeah. That one is, was right? hated. And What's funny is that that's like all you heard about. I remember what it was like when Death of Smoochie came out. Everybody was talking about how much they hated it. Yeah. Like, what? A lot of people hadn't seen that movie. It was like number one for three or four weeks at the box wow. office. People hated it that much. They wanted to go see it. So it's one of uh, it's one of the better uh, Edward Norton performances. So funny. Yeah, I love that film. Danny <laughs> DeVito. And DeVito. Oh, sorry. Oh, yeah, let's just skip it. Uh, let me run down a couple more of my performances give me a couple performances yeah okay after Norton I had Nicole Kidman in Dogville which we spoke about briefly yep Dogville's amazing Dogville's fantastic Uh, after her I had Casey Affleck we talked about earlier in the assassination of Jesse James but I will also point out that he was in another great film called Jerry with Matt Damon which was a part of a, a larger trilogy of films uh, with Last Days, and a movie that just was on the outside of my top ten list. 
elephant by Gus Van Sant. You can throw Paranoid Park, Paranoid Park in there too. Yeah, yeah. It, I like it as those four films. Them. Yeah, they're terrific films. It's some of the very best cinematography of the decade. Hero Survives mm-hmm. uh, will blow your mind. Oh my god! But approach, approach with caution because uh, these movies are not for everybody. No, they're my not. wife, my wife hates Gary. She thinks it's <laughs> the worst movie she's ever seen, and I think that's 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 my favorite. Uh, Meryl Streep adaptation was my number four performance of the decade. Nice. Can't say enough about her. Uh, Naomi Watts in 21 Grams was my number three performance of the decade. Wow. wow. So she's number three and one? Number three and one. Wow. Naomi Watts uh, is an extraordinary actress. So really sad she doesn't do as much as she used to. She had I Heart Huckabees in this decade as well. Um, the Michael Haneke remake. Funny Games of his own film with uh, Eric Roth, Michael Pitt. That movie will get you really bad. Uh, Beware. (laughs) Be very aware. And 21 Grams is is, uh, maybe the best acted movie of the decade? Yeah, um, it was was one I wanted to rewatch too. Um, So many powerhouse performances. Benicio Del Toro, Sean Penn, Melissa Leo, like, it's just an acting powerhouse. And every scene has meat to it. Yeah. Every word has bite. And Naomi Watts just tears you apart. Certain scenes in that movie you can't even look at. You can't yeah. watch the script. It's too much to bear. And it's because she delivers on such a high level. Yeah, for, me, she, for me, she's one of the best of all time. Oh, definitely. Daniel Day-Lewis at number two. He was my number two performance wow. of the decade. Earl B. Brooks. And number one, the great Naomi Watts. Mulholland Drive. Let two, me... two performances just on the outside. I might as well just rhyme them off just for um, Charlie Theron and Monster. Yep. Deserves some recognition because that was a pretty uh, groundbreaking performance. Also great and at Hancock. That's great. <laughs> and Kate Winslet and everything she's done ever. Yeah. She had a good decade. Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind is one that probably stands out. Um, she's a terrific actress. And that's that's Jim Carrey's best performance, too. Yeah, it is. Man, Jim Carrey is a highly underappreciated person. He's so skilled. I, I, would, I actually think him and Kaufman are a really good team. Oh yeah, I would love to see that match up again. I'd like to see more of that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I had a couple. These aren't in order, really. I have the top is in order. Um, okay. So I think Denzel and Training Day has aged really well. Hey, that's a good one. Yeah, like Denzel is Denzel. Like he had a pretty good decade too. One best actor, man. Yeah, and this, best is his, actor this is his Oscar-winning performance. I watched it recently. It's not a perfect movie, in but. A... Oh my God, it's a supporting so role. Essentially. I think Ethan Hawke is actually the lead. Yeah. You know, the story is centered around his character. Everybody else is... The story is about, is about Ethan Hawke. Yeah. yeah. 
and he was in the supporting category. Now, to me, that's a really weird flip. That was weird. I think they were they both they were yeah, yeah, that movie's, that movie's really good. Um, movie. It's, and that, when he's getting riddled with bullets at the end, that's like oh, yeah. the best getting riddled with bullets scene I've ever seen. <laughs> he just fucking yeah. goes for it. Um, I loved Colin Farrell in In Bruges. Uh, good film. One of the funniest performances of the decade. Uh, I also think he was, we talked about Richard Kelly, I think Colin Farrell's kind of the lost movie star of the decade. I think his career could have gone a different way. Maybe some of that was his fault, maybe it wasn't. Um, I think Alexander kind of screwed him over. Uh, which yeah, is un- which maybe is that's underrated. an underrated film, but it is. I, I, uh, had, it I had deserve the reputation. Because. If we can detour, I had a couple... Those were that was a subcategory I had of like underrated blockbusters, and I had Alexa- I had Alexander, which I have re I've always stood by it. I love it. Um, Oliver Stone. The director's cut. Yeah, the, the director's, director's cut. cut. Get the director's cut. Yeah, um, for sure. King Kong by Peter Jackson. Like. You know that's another underrated. Entertaining film as hell. It's really good, and I will say. The King Kong is Peter Jackson's best film. Nice. I know you're a, I know you're a huge Lord of the Rings fan, but I yeah, yeah. love King Kong. King Kong is really, it. really good. I don't know why it's not thought about as like a rewatchable movie, because it's so entertaining. And it, it'll make Adrian you cry, too. Adrian Brody. Yeah. Adrian Jack, Brody. Jack like, Black. Naomi Watts. Yeah, it's man. It's just amazing. Uh, like, my, my third underrated perfect film. Yeah, it's a perfect film. Like, you go to the movies, and you want to see a movie like King Kong. Like, it totally delivers. I want to watch King Kong right now. Yeah, I, I, it made me think about that. Like, that was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, another one is that didn't get good reviews was Hulk. Uh, their first Hulk movie that uh, Ang Lee did. You know, I think if you cut out all the weird split-screen stuff... No, I like the split-screen good... stuff. Ah, I just... It felt like reading a comic book. You're, you're, you're getting different... You're getting uh, panels at different times, right? I, I just couldn't... Mm-hmm. There's something about that that I found distracting that took away from it. And I, I, I'm not saying I, I didn't enjoy it, but it was a little bit too convoluted. I think it's a, I think it's underappreciated. Uh, do you have any to add to that category before I go back to my performances? <laughs> To the underappreciated? Uh, the underappreciated think... blockbusters, yeah. Oh, shoot. Blockbusters? Yeah. Revenge of the Sith. Really? It's probably only good of those Star Wars films. The late. It, it's pretty good. I, I like that one. I don't, I don't like Attack of the Clones. I didn't like Phantom Menace. No, no, I they're terrible. I like that one, which is weird. Um, you would think that I... They couldn't save that, but that movie is strangely good. It's really pulpy, and uh, the performances are as good as they ever have been in that trilogy. Yeah, shout out to Ian McDermott, who plays the uh, Emperor. Sam Jackson was really good in that one. Yeah, and Natalie Park was good. I just, I don't know. Lee. Felt more. <laughs> it was shit. I don't know. Better written. The movie had more character development. 
Yeah. Unless striving to make you feel and laugh the way hey, the other two did. Hey, I'm a fan. You don't have to convince me. Cool. Um, so back to performances, I guess. There's a couple obvious ones. Uh, Tom Hanks and Castaway is really That's good. a good one. Um, that's just how many actors could pull that off. Actually, who would you want to see in that role other than him? Other than Tom Hanks? Yeah. Who could do it? Uh, Roughly from the era. I don't know. Gee, I don't know. I thought... Nobody's quite as likable as Tom Hanks. I know. You know? I kind of thought Jamie Foxx. Jim Carrey? Jim Carrey would be good. But again, no one's has... Talking, the problem with that is that you just... You can't help but feel a certain way about Jim Carrey's face when you see it. Yeah. It was too rude and smiling that... <laughs> you know, I mean, Tom Hanks at least made some dramas before Castaway. There's only one Tom Whereas, Hanks. Exactly. How about, how about Michael Keaton? Yeah. I could, I could watch it. He doesn't have the star power. You're talking no, about doesn't. star power. You know, You're not going to sell tickets. Uh, the, the acting chops. Nobody's got both the way Tom Hanks does. Maybe Brad Pitt. Um, another one on my list is uh, Milk. Sean Penn. Terrific. Uh, it's, it's really good. <laughs> really good. Uh, acting performance uh, of a real person. Um, how about Bronson? Uh, Tom Hardy and Bronson. Oh, yeah. That, uh, that performance is awesome. Nicholas uh, Renfield. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. <laughs> that performance is fucking insane. There's nothing, there's nothing like it. The voice is... I don't know what that voice is. He just loves to fight. He's such a chaotic character. Uh, yeah, that movie is very similar to uh, another movie I spoke about earlier, Chopper, with Eric Bana. Have you seen that one? Yeah. That one's yeah, man. Too. It's very similar, and uh, those characters are crazy. Crazy characters. Uh, so yeah. such a fun movie to watch, too. As gory and as disturbing as it is, you can't help but look away. Or not. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's hilarious too. <laughs> um, so I, getting up there, I have Daniel Day Lewis, of course. We talked about him at length. Uh, in There Will Be Blood. Um, Nicholas Cage. We gotta talk about Nicholas Cage in uh, adaptation. Uh, a career best performance from the guy who actually I gave the acting award to for the eighties. Vampire's Kiss. Um, adaptation is a film that almost zero actors in history have the skill to pull off. Yeah, um, and that's why I love Nicolas Cage because he does have the talent. It's the talent is there in levels that are astounding, and this is the best thing he's ever done. Even he says he couldn't do it again. He doesn't know how he did it. I think like, you're given a script like adaptation, like being John Malkovich, like even Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. Those are characters that are so well written that if you're not giving your best performance, it's, I, I mean, 
you feel it, you shape yourself. You know, Sam Rockwell, Philip Seymour Hoffman, those are their best performances. Jim Carrey, that's his best performance because the material just draws the best out of you. And if we're talking about owning the decade, Charlie Kaufman owned the decade. Nice. In my opinion. Okay. Um, my last two performances are, um, or my last one performance, <laughs> or actually we'll go two, uh, because it's Naomi Watts in Mulholland Drive and the twin performance, Laura Dern in Inland Empire. Oh, so good. Which, <laughs> this is really, really, really needs a warning label. <laughs> like, <laughs> basically, don't watch this movie. I think, I think Kevin and I are probably like two of the 80 people in the world who like this movie. Even huge <laughs> David Lynch fans don't like it. But is Inland Empire the nightmare that Naomi Watts is living out in Mulholland Drive? Yes. Um, I, I, I do have theories that are similar to that, uh, that idea. <laughs> <laughs> and like, this is the most alienating performance I've ever seen in a film. It's so brave. It's basically two and a half hours of her screaming and crying. Oh, God. It's so hard to watch. But I absolutely uh, love it. You know, Laura Dern gave my top performance of the 90s with Citizen Ruth. Yeah. This, this just barely didn't, like, it, oh, man. I was torn when I scratched her name off of my list. But I figured you'd have her so we could talk about it anyways. Well, and I'm glad you do. Yeah. And I can understand since you had Naomi Watts so high. Um, but Laura Dern's the best. There's literally, there are no other actors that could have done this. It's kind of like that Ellen Burstyn performance, but like times a hundred. Oh, God. <laughs> Um, I'm seeing her face right now. Yeah, <laughs> she's an much. extension. She's an extension of David Lynch's imagination, and that's all I can say about that. Yeah, I would think. I think she is his like, greatest collaborator. Um, I think she was so good in all of the movies she's been in with him that she has as much ownership of those movies as David Lynch does. She's the soul of her his entire catalog, I think. I think the speech, her uh, her speech about the Robins and Blue Velvet, that is the soul of David Lynch. Okay. Um, and Inland Empire is the horrible nightmare. <laughs> <laughs> um, it okay. is true, true. So who won the decade? Uh, a couple candidates. Let's say Christopher Nolan. Paul Thomas Anderson, Wes Anderson, Linkletter we can throw in there, Scorsese had a good run, um, Montreer, Gus, Ridley Scott had a really good run at the start. By the way, I don't like Gladiator. Don't like Gladiator. Don't like Gladiator. That's one of my hot takes. Here, I was going to throw out um, Black Hawk Down as being an underrated film. I love Black Hawk Down. And Gladiator's watchable. Yeah. It's just not... It's too flawed, like to be considered a, one of the great films of the decade. Yeah, yeah. Um, Danny Boyle had that good little run. 
Yeah, Denny Boy was terrific. Cohen Brothers. Yes. Um, yeah, any um, any actors that deserve to be nominees? I thought of maybe Clooney. I, I mean, it's my pick's easy. It's me only watch, but Clooney yeah. had a good track. But is is Charlie uh, Kaufman Cooper, your? Oh yeah, Charlie Kaufman. He's your pick though. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so I is it you changed torn. movies for me like uh like the way David Lynch did when I first watched Mulholland Drive adaptation and Confessions of a Dangerous Mind were the very next year and just like kept snowballing this movie just kept getting better and blowing my mind even more that's probably because you know I grew up at a time when I could just take off to the movie theater whatever I wanted but it just those movies had a more profound effect on me than any other uh, I think I do agree I think he's the greatest artist outside of maybe David Lynch um, <clears throat> the greatest artist uh, who made an impact on this decade um I'm going to give a devil's advocate opinion though for my pick though. Okay. Uh, and I'm going. I'm kind of going more quantity over quality. If that's okay. It's quantity. Yeah. It's quantity and quality. Um, I'm gonna go Steven Soderbergh. You're not gonna get an argument from me, Kelsey. You know how I feel about Soderbergh. But, but can I can I add this though that. Best movies he made are probably the ones that people didn't see. There's movie. There's a movie called Bubble, which very few people have seen. Uh, the Girlfriend Experience. Yep. Terrific film. His very low budget movies that he made were the very best that he made. And I mean, I mean, there's so many. Solaris, The Ocean Eleven movies, Haywire. Here's the deck Traffic. Aaron he starts out on Aaron Brockovich and Traffic, nominated for Best Director for both. Then he does Ocean's Eleven, Full Frontal, which is one of my faves, um, Solaris, Ocean's Twelve, Bubble, The Good German, which I haven't actually seen, Great. Uh, Ocean's Thirteen, Che One and Two, Great films, uh, Girlfriend Experience, and The Informant, which is super. And The Informant. Super great. Like, that's more than ten great films. And then he does. Then he has that crazy year where he has Contagion, Haywire, and Magic Mike. But it's because he he figured a uh, a system out that, in which he was able to produce so many great films. Like, mm-hmm. people were just not willing to shoot on digital. Like. Soderbergh was, he realized there was potential there, and in doing so, he was able to produce those movies at a faster rate than almost anybody could think of. Mm-hmm. So many great films, right? Well, yeah, like, I don't know if anyone's had a year like that with the Magic Mike, Haywire, and, uh, and Contagion. Yeah, it's crazy to think that he can make that many good movies. Yeah, like... It's just one after the other. I mean, he shot the entirety of season one and two of the Nick, you know, like TV shows get chopped into parts and are made by many different directors. Steven Soderbergh does 24 episodes. Mm-hmm. It makes it look effortless. He's amazing. And he had K Street. 
He had pastry this uh, decade, too. Which is a great series. Mm-hmm. For quantity, yes. You can't top Soderbergh. And we'll go... I'm, no I'm happy with, with Kaufman as kind of the, the guy moving the art form forward the most. Yeah, and sadly, I don't know if he's ever going to get a chance to make a movie as sprawling as uh, Synecdoche, New York. Yeah. But you always hope that the studios will invest in uh, the great minds so we can get more great art. Unfortunately, it's just starting to run a little thin. Yeah. It's, uh, the, the industry's totally changing, but hopefully the great artists find a way to take advantage of that rather than be brought down by it. I agree. I mean, I hate to see one company monopolize uh, the making of great art, but if those companies are willing to put the money forward for those artists to have their complete vision up on the screen, I'm all for it. I don't believe in sacrificing uh, because it didn't do well in a uh, focus group of some kind. Yeah. The artist has the last say. I don't want to wait three years down the road to see the director's cut on Blu-ray. I want to watch the best version of the movie the first time I see it. And the best version can only be the version that the director approves. Period. Yeah, come on. Why You hire these people for a reason. Yeah, exactly. And so many great movies have been destroyed because the directors weren't able to show exactly what they wanted to. You know, when you think of David Fincher's first movie, Alien 3, you know, there's obvious missteps there. Do I think they were Fincher's fault? Definitely not, because Fincher's a perfectionist. He had an idea, and he wasn't allowed to play it out the way he wanted to. But ever since then, he's never, ever sacrificed. And in doing so, has made movies that have A, made money, and were great. Yeah. You know, like Seven, Fight Club, Panic Room. Every single movie is great. Social Network made a lot of money. They were chopped up. Yeah. You gotta let them have their, their vision in its entirety. As long as that keeps happening, I think we're in good shape. I'm not sure where the art form's going, but maybe less theaters, I don't know, which sucks because uh, I like seeing movies in theaters, but I don't know, there's a lot of good artists out there and um, a lot of these directors that we're looking at I would have liked to see more from, so hopefully they have a big decade uh, coming up in the 20s I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb and say too that um, Quentin Tarantino hasn't made his last movie yet Nah. Another guy, you know, with the pandemic and live shows just not being what they used to be right now. Yeah. I don't know if he can pull off a Broadway or an off-Broadway production. (laughs) I think think he's been uh, hibernating, but he's going to come out with a few new films for us. I'm sure he's been been writing. The party scene hasn't been great. We didn't talk about Inglorious Bastards. Or Kill Bill Volume 1 or 2 in this podcast. I know, I know. Which is a shame. And I watched Inglorious Bastards two weeks ago. It's good. It's really it good. It holds up. 
Yeah, it's aged really well. Turns out killing Nazis uh, ages well. Definitely. <laughs> um, oh, a couple of things I wanted to touch on just before we leave. Um, a couple genre movies that uh, are pretty awesome and, I, and, and a great performance. So I didn't mention the performance, but it fits into this category as well. Casino Royale, the James Bond movie. Uh, you like it? I love it. Um, I I think Daniel Craig. It's easily he's easily the best Bond. There's no there's no competition because his acting in that movie is like there's nothing close to it in a Bond movie. He's actually making it a three dimensional character while still being cool and suave, uh, and and funny. And good at action. Like, Daniel Craig is a powerhouse in that movie, and it's so good. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan. No? I'm gonna be honest. I watched no. it again recently, and I liked it even more the second time. It's something I could revisit. Because I do like, I like Skyfall. Um, I like the most recent one. Oh, there man. are things to enjoy. I mean, I like his character. I think he is the best Bond. Yeah. But I don't remember why it was that I disliked Casino Royale, but I do remember having a bad feeling about it. Give it another watch. Yeah, I'll do it's it. Got, it's got Mads Mikkelsen, too. Uh, oh, man, that that Roger Deakins shot. Um, I watched Skyfall again recently, too, and that, that Deakins chase sequence near the On the train movie, and start? The, oh, yeah, yeah, like when, the, the, when, when Judy Dench has to call the shot, and they're on that bridge, and Bond ends up falling to start the film. Like, that is some of the best Deacons. Oh, for sure. But it's amplified by Hans Zimmer's score, man. Yeah. Like, it just does a perfect, like, complement of each other. Like, Deacon cinematography and Hans Zimmer, like, doing this otherworldly action sequence. Like, that's the perfect meld. He's definitely going to get greatness whenever you put those things together. Um, I also wanted to mention a couple more genre movies. Was it this year, or was it this decade, uh, Master and Commander? I think yeah. It was. Yeah, Master and Commander. Yeah. If, you want, if you want a Navy movie, uh, this is going to scratch every itch you've got. It's um, good. I liked it way more watching it recently than I did when it came out for some reason. Don't know why. Uh, it's just a freaking great Navy movie. It's the best. It's like the best dad movie of all time. <laughs> um, loved it. And uh, Inside Man, Denzel and Clive Owen, the Spike Lee film. Yeah, that is movie. such a good bank robbery heist movie. Like. Um, one of the best of all time, and I think uh, Clive Owen's villain is one of the most interesting villains, in quotes, uh, that we've seen recently. Um, it shows that Spike Lee can apply his skills to genre films, which I was really excited to see, because it works so well. Um, it was but, a big hit when it came out. Yeah, it made a lot of money. It, it, it actually really saved, not saved Spike Lee's career, but like, it really helped his career. For sure. I, that's a great movie. I think yeah. all made a lot of great movies in that in the decade. Man on Fire comes to mind as well. Yeah, Tony Scott. Um, great. 
Great, uh, great decade. Uh, anyway, do you got anything else to say um, before we say goodnight? Yeah, I don't know. I think we covered a lot of ground here. Yeah, we did. Um, horror movies sucked. Comedies were great, but the horror movies were not good. I will say that. I'll say that. Yeah, I think, I think maybe, uh, I mean, I don't know, like just an out and out horror movies, I think there was definitely not enough great ones. Yeah, there the was Descent, couple of the descent was really good. Yeah, the Descent was terrific. Yeah. Uh, 28 Days Later too. Yeah. I saw that in the theater and I was just like, what? Scared to shit. Um, it was such a terrifying movie. Uh, but I feel like there's something horror movies bounce back pretty good the next decade though we didn't talk about Scorsese no um, I watched The Departed last week (laughs) Uh, Leo is really good in that and I think like Shutter Island Departed and Aviator the three films that Leo did with Scorsese are really strong yeah, those like, are strong. I'd like to rewatch. Least... I'd like to rewatch uh, Shutter Island, especially. Yeah, Shutter Island was so good. But I mean, there's, those are all great movies, right? Like Scorsese, he had a good part of the ownership of that decade as well. Oh yeah, he was really As-y. strong. Pretty much every decade, but I think maybe even Hugo was inside. Yeah, Hugo was there. Yeah. So, and he was just 99.99 when he'd been coming off of uh, Bringing Out the Dead. Oh, yeah. So he just never stopped making great movies. Like, just a string of them. He's still doing it, man. I'm cutting it. Yeah, man. Um, Roman Polanski, too. Uh, the Pianist was a, an extraordinary movie. All the pain made Ben Schmidt sideways. Two great films. Yep. I think the Green Nebraska was in that decade, maybe not. Mm. No, that was more recent. Um, but a great movie. Yep. Uh, who's the guy who made uh, a, a Prophet? Uh, Jacques Audiard. Yep. Jacques Audiard yeah. had a good decade. The, the Beat of My Heart Skip was a great film. Uh, Aronofsky was strong with The Wrestler and. Black Swan this decade. Ooh. Uh, and, and The Fountain. And Requiem for a Dream. Pi. That was Pi, late 90s. Uh, Pi was late 90s, but yeah, Aronofsky was great. I, I watched Mother the other night. I don't, I, don't, I don't think I liked it. <laughs> I don't think I liked it, unfortunately. I haven't seen it since I watched it at the theater. I do own it. I should watch it again. Bardem was really um, Yeah, it was different. Mm-hmm. It was different. But the other guy who's fearless in what he creates entirely. Uh, uh, I respect him for doing it. Uh, Moon was really good. We didn't mention Moon. Yeah, it was a good movie. I like that one a lot. Uh, Sam Rockwell was terrific in that film. Yeah, one of my favorite performances of the of the decade. 
we'll say goodnight. Uh, this was a really good decade. Uh, like I said, I think I think maybe you were a little more high on it, but after talking about it, like we have no shortage of amazing films to talk about. Um, I'd like to have one about the ones that haven't aged so well, because I think Oscar, the Oscars got it wrong quite a bit uh, in this decade. I think the Oscars have been getting it wrong since, since forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's uh, I mean, definitely the great movies were represented at Oscars, but so many great ones weren't. Well, it's what stands um, the test of time, right? Like something like that's why I'm I'm rating Soderbergh so high because like Ocean's Eleven didn't win an Oscar, but anytime Ocean's Eleven's on TV, people are gonna tune in. Like you'll 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 be switching channels and that'll be on, and you'll just keep it on. That's the stuff that stands the test of time. Um, anyway, thanks for joining us on this episode of Viral Content. Uh, I'm Kelsey Powell. I've been joined by Kevin Ellis, and uh, we enjoyed talking about the films of the aughts. Um, one of the decades that made us. The decade that made adult us. Uh, it's uh, yeah, and like we said, we had some of the best films of all time. We talked about uh, Return of the King, especially. Um, say good night, Kevin. Yeah, good night, folks. And uh, Kelsey, I just want to say that you know, so many of the great movies that we watched this decade. I think a lot of them we watched together, and I really appreciate that. So yeah, man, I'll, um, I'll never forget, especially watching Zodiac on a portable DVD player in a car while we were working a security job. Every <laughs> <laughs> the time we saw There Will Be Blood, but that might be a little too uh, explicit for Well, thanks for reminding me. Body. Thanks for reminding me of that, because like, I forgot about <laughs> watching Cloverfield before that. That was a, That's an insane primer. <laughs> like, no, hold on. I'm talking about the second time. 
we watched the oh, man. Yeah. So, yeah. So we, uh, we really couldn't look at the screen for too long. No, it was rough. It was all sledding, my friend. Yeah, but we're, we're always happy to go into the pit together. We always come out okay. <laughs> we'll, we'll go through it once more. Yeah. For sure. But uh, let's, right, man. this is us signing off. Thank you for joining us. And uh, watch some of these movies we talked about. Because we got nothing better to do. <laughs> Thank you.